welcome to episode 36 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week we looked at our first batch of games from issue 18 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were pleased by Parallax, licked by Iridis Alpha, and had our eyes roofed by Spiky Harold. This week we conclude our look at the games in October 1986, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens. Graham, shower us with the best stygian, and tell us what's coming up. In this two-layer family circle biscuit tin selection of an episode, we grab our shiny helmets, paint our leather pants in fancy colours and go for a speedy motorbike ride in the zippy supercycle. We dig in our crappy toolkits for our special yan hammers to smash the messy mimey vice to pieces and unleash our inner hoffs. Talk to our cars and get angry at the utterly dreadful nightmare that is Night Rider. We also explore the toy-like confusing world of the dreary Hot Wheels, see if anything happens with the somewhat dull and overwhelming part-time security job simulator that is Hacker 2, and explore the world of 1920s filmmaking by attacking police officers and causing trouble in the bewildering Hollywood or bust. Should you find you've still a penchant for another malted milk biscuit, we also dive into the mole-based multicolour bridge-em-up puzzle world of Collapse, get a stinking headache and deja vu with the photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy nonsense of Arcana before finally having some faith restored, before being brutally torn to shreds by the demonic creatures that lie beyond the Forbidden Forest. I have given a name to my pain, and it is Crappy Licensed Games. Crom. <laughs> it's better not be Haga. <laughs> it's not. Well, the next game's not Haga. Some of them probably will be Haga that we look through today. <laughs> Bloody Haga. Haga. Bugger off with your Haga. <laughs> he was horrible, wasn't he? Haga the horrible. <laughs> Bloody Haga. Anyway, what we got first up? First up is uh, an Epics game. So this section is all about is all about the vehicles. We've got four vehicle-based games. It's very so vehicle isn't it? It's very vehicle yes. Vehicular, very I believe, is the word. Drivey. <laughs> or drivey, yeah. <laughs> except, except this one. Except this one's a bit ridey. Very this is ridey. Supercycle. Supercycle from Epics. Uh, this was 9.95, and this got a 95%. Ooh, it's a big score. That is sizzling. Yeah, it's a sizzler. So Epics have made another racing game here. This time, though, unlike the pit stops, it's got bikes. So it's a bike game. Supercycle, as you can guess. And this is more of an arcade racer in the spirit, and I say in the spirit, of Hang On. So if you played Hang On in the arcade by Sega and Yu Suzuki, you'll know that what to expect, really. This is a similar sort of thing. This is this had come out in the uh, Hang On had come similar. out in the arcade the year before. <laughs> yeah, similar, similar. Anyway, but you know, so it's it's hang on, it's so it's a bike racing game. You three D track behind the bike, off you go. So before the game starts, you pick your bike color from about eight different colors: red, blue, greens, and the various shades the of those palette. you have on the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, you pick the color of your leathers, um, and the pick your leather style as well, which is quite nice. So mm. none of this makes any difference apart from how the sprite looks when, you, when no. you're riding. So you know, so it's all cosmetic. But people do like their cosmetics these days. Let's face it. And then that's it. So it's very arcadey. So it's uh, off you go after that. But to make your way through nine stages of high speed biking action. Uh, interspersed with a couple of bonus tracks thrown in for good measure so this is pure and simple an arcade racer there's no two ways around it It yeah derives heavily from hang on as i said but as arcade racers go i think this is excellent i think this is really good i think the bike control so visually this is really nice the sprites look good they're Mm -hmm. much better than that other one with speed king the madness of those the obviously epics have some good (laughs) track record in hey, good vis- like vi- visual visuals for uh 
for the for the road and there's no low lighting up here the road is very very nicely done the 3d effect is excellent the background visuals are very nice so there are lots of them as well through the uh, nine stages and off you go so your bike controls pretty well you have three gears to plow through to get up to about 140 mile per hour is the top speed you accrue points the further you go and the faster you get through the three stages to so the stages so the whole point is it's like hang on you've got to go it's a time trial basically so you have a timer that's counting down you've got to get to the end of the stage when you get to the end of the stage the next stage loads in and rinse and repeat after stage three there is a bonus track where you have to just it's a straight line but you've just got to avoid the riders and go through the, the colored flags for extra points after that you get another six stages i think um to drive through before you get the final stage and then the final bonus stage the controls for actually driving it you know the steering left and right are quite nice because you can they, they seem a bit twitchy at first, but when you kind of get used to them, they they allow a, a sort of almost a degree of analog control with the digital input because you can leave your rider slightly uh, lent over to go around a track. You don't have to keep your, your... So you've got sort of stages of lean, I think is the best way to describe it. You've got sort of slight lean, mid lean and heavy lean. I'll call it i think there's three so slight yeah. lean if you leave it leave it on there we'll go around you know the, the you know the not so tight corners mid lean will go through and tight lean if it's a very tight corner and obviously if you're going very fast you need to you know lower your speed as you're going down to make sure you don't spin off the track on the other side hitting any obstacles on the side of the track in pole position style will explode your bike and make you fly off typical of that you can bounce off other rides a little bit but going too fast into them we'll see again you bounce off and, and explode it is arcade to its core and that's that's it uses that to its uh to its advantage because it's a high score chaser like any arcade game there are nice varied backdrops it starts off with sort of nature so trees and mountains in the background before proceeding to desert you go through a city there's variations of these as the games progress you get obstacles on the cut on the actual track itself there's a snow level so there's snow on the road there's oil spills in different parts there are potholes and things like that so hitting too many of them will cause you to fly off the bike everything looks really good it's got a great sense of speed feels faster even though you're not going quite as fast but it actually does feel faster than pit stop two it's twice the size of hang on as well because hang on was only four levels to get through this has nine and and uh, yes you have to load each level um so it's not continuous like the arcade it's still a pretty good take on it i thought there's a good good couple of levels towards the end as well one is a uh, sort of set at night with lightning going off and there's you know a nice effect as you hear a little lightning going off in the background and the last level has like a castle in the background which you're sort of heading towards mm. which i thought was a bit of a nod to outrun even yeah the castle level towards the end of outrun again it's similar similar style to outrun as well so it's taking its nod from those kind of games rather than your formula one games for pit stop two did there's three levels of difficulty which i think just lowers the time you've got to actually complete the levels if you complete them obviously you get some time bonus for the next one and this is just a really solid excellent racing game from epics doing what it does in you know to well it's well presented it's smooth it's fast it doesn't drop any frames the graphics are good the controls are good it's epics doing epics and they've decided to do a version of a hang on for the commodore 64 and for me it ticks all the right boxes and i was pleasantly surprised playing this i don't really remember playing this much back then i'm not sure whether i had it or whether the i imagine i only had it on tape so i think i imagine the loader was quite a bit of a, a pain so it probably put me off but playing it now via a disc version much faster to load the levels in the different bits and and with that with that ability i found this really enjoyable so what about you yeah i uh, i have to agree i thought this was obviously it's the epics let's turn our attention to motorbikes but let's apply arcade logic to it so it does borrow heavily from hang on and from outrun and from that kind of arcade logic nothing wrong with that so it's a dash for time as opposed to a race 
for place. And that's no bad thing. I think there was nice graphics. It was fast. I mean, you can't argue with the pace of this game. It's really it's really nippy. The graphics are great. The fact that you can choose your kind of motorbike design is, is it's a nice touch. It's neither here nor there in terms of its gameplay, but it's actually a nice touch to add to something to make it feel a bit more like a personal journey. They're not jaw-dropping, the graphics, but they are fast enough. The track graphics are really, really good. It's it's a bit over-samey, so you know, but there's not going to be a lot of variation in a game where you're racing on a track, essentially, but there's enough logic to make it apply. I liked the controls are... Difficult once you get to grips with them, a bit like pit stop. They've got the same physics as pit stop, I think, really, to some extent. So they're kind of that, and it's not floaty, but once you know you're going to hit a corner and you know how to control it and, and you control the speed of it, you're actually going to have a good time with this. The sound's a bit ear splitting. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I forgot to mention that. Yes, yeah, it is, right. but it's a motorbike game, so it had the kind of the pit stoppy type of sound to it. And maybe it was missing a map, I think, maybe, because, you know, maybe, but then again, Outrun doesn't have a map, so the arcade logic does apply to that i quite i quite like my time with it um i thought it was a really good solid racing game there's a lot of fun to be had with it graphics are good sounds good epics good people to make this they've got a track record they know what they're doing it was playable it was fun you could you could alter the vehicles enough to make it sort of more personalized what's not to like about that at 9.95 decent price i don't know if it was a different disc price it would have it, on disc. It would have certainly featured the Vorpal loader because it's epics, which means it would have been super fast. I don't know that I ever played an original version of it, so it was probably cracked. But the Vorpal loader was a real nightmare to crack. I can tell you that from personal experience. So it's it's a very interesting game, and it is way better than anything else motorbike at the time. So I think it does. It is a really good arcade playable motorbike racing game on the Commodore 64 and perhaps one of the best because I don't remember there being a lot of them later I know Super Hang On is it that comes out I think it does come out eventually and and a few others that are out there I think there's a few others but I remember playing Super Cycle back then and having a good time with it and when I replayed it I remembered why a decent epics racer well they do these things pretty well so I liked it 95% was about right Maybe it deserved gold, I think, maybe, because it, if it had had more stuff in there, maybe it would have got that. But either way, a sizzler is good for this as well. Good game. Really good game. Definitely worth a download. Definitely worth a replay. Gets my vote. Excellent stuff. Really enjoyed it. Really good. Really good. Yeah. There's not much more to say about it. It's just it's a really good racing game. Really good racing, yeah. Really good arcade racer. And the 64 yeah. doesn't have that many, with, you know, think no. about your your uh, pole positions and things like that there's not many no and one thing i will say is the control of the speed in this game is actually really good you actually feel like if you slow down for the bends it you are slowing down for the bends of the track and it does actually facilitate you like it would on a motorbike you can't hit a motorbike bend at 180 miles an hour and expect to do anything but fly off gravity will throw you off so um (laughs) yep so when you slow down and it's quick to be able to do that it's con- the controls are the logic of the controls and the way you control it mean that you can do those things and um, it doesn't feel like a game where you can just career around at full speed and maybe hit something maybe not you can apply game logic and strategy to the way you control the motorbike which means you can play this game and actually get quite far and get quite good at it so a bit like the logic they applied to pit stop 2 excellent excellent just wanted to say that because i think in your mind you could be thinking well it's just like you know it's a pit it's a pole position pit stop game with a motorbike in it but it's actually a lot more than that so definitely go check it out yeah absolutely 100 percent agree all right there you go super cycle we like super cycle i'm gonna guess we're not gonna like much else coming up in the next bit but let's move on
because the next one is another game. It's not totally car-based, although you spend a lot of your time in your car. And the next game is Miami Vice, Ocean's Port of the TV show Miami Vice. Graham, do you want to um, extol the virtues of Miami Vice? (laughs) How? How do you get (laughs) this wrong? So Miami Vice is a TV series based around two undercover cops one called Crockett and one called Tubbs. And I want to say that their names are not necessarily that in that order. I think it's Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Tubbs. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Two undercover cops who just do, you know, cop busting, drug busting stuff in the Miami-Dade police force. So the TV series is very much like that. Very famous TV series for its kind of MTV ethic, very style of a substance kind of thing. Lots of... uh, driving around in the Miami sunset with meaningful music on in my Ferrari as a police officer, you know. It's Michael Mann, isn't it? Yeah, Michael Mann produced, and there's, there's, there's a whole slew of stuff online about Miami Vice. So this is the game based on that. Now, the TV series is very glamorous. It's based in Miami. Miami with all these amazing-looking, you know, people, women, men, good-looking place, loads of, you know, hot summer nights and Miami nights and all of the stuff that you could have leaned on to make a game from <laughs> none could of that have. is none of that is apparent in this travesty really so my first comment was ah this is horrible <laughs> yeah, um, Matt says what the hell <laughs> so w- what you end up with in the commodore 64 variant of this is a top down orthographic view scrolly car game where and i've not seen the likes of this really since give my regards to broad street which is what it horribly reminded me of and that made me have nightmares i've put that in mine as well that's what i've put so so you control this car around this the streets of miami and the idea of the game is that in actuality there's a drug baron gangster called mr j and you've the idea is you go undercover and try and find out information about the various deals and things that are going on, pick up information from the various sleazes and drug dealers and, you know, all sorts of people that are in the area, um, you know, the casino, you know, bad dudes, find out the information so that you can take down Mr. J. Um, I'm not exactly sure how you take him down because I never got that far, but apparently this is what you do. So you can get involved in shootouts. Apparently I never did. I just drove around the streets of Miami in a kind of top down view in a, I want to say sports car, but it looked like a shoe. <laughs> sort of driving around with a badly controlled vehicle. With Now, on the, the ying side is that we say Martin Galway can provide amazing auditory stimuli to the games. I think this is perhaps Martin Galway at his worst. It's a version version of the, the, the Miami Vice soundtrack, and, and it's not horrible. It's just not very good by his standard. So it adds mm. some weight because the start of this game is really inexplicable. It's just kind of flashing border. I th- I think um, I think our um, our version of this was not the. I think it's someone's freeze framed it or something. So I don't think we got All the proper right. start. Well, uh, no, because I, I YouTubed it and that was the start in the YouTube video. Oh, was it? Maybe yeah. they were playing the same rip then. I don't know. Surely it can't be. I can't start like that. Well, I, I don't doubt that it might because, it, no, if I thought that there was, if it went to some kind of really great quality game after you'd started from just this weird screen and my and essentially you start driving around the city in order to find these various different people and get information from them. But I just ended up driving around the city, not really doing much of anything. I actually found driving around the city in the game New York was better than this. And that's saying something, because New York wasn't great. So 
It's just yeah. it's just yeah, yeah, top right. down cast scrolly crazy. I don't know how you get a license for something like Miami Vice and and make it wrong. My only thought is that they didn't do it wrong. They just didn't care. And that worries me a bit because there's a bit of a theme developing for some of these ocean games where they don't care about license. Just put it out because there's enough Miami Vice fans out there to buy it. They kind of did the same thing with V, kind of doing the same thing with Highlander. Miami Vice is kind of no different. There's no passion or thought or care about the TV show, the themes of the TV show, or anything else. This could have been the C64 version of NARC, for example. They could have done that. Not necessarily the NARC you know, missile in clowns, but it could have been a two-player version of a NARC, side-scrolling, shoot em up Green Beret for two players, shooting your way through the streets of Miami, drug dealers. It could have been that. It could have done that. Instead, they go for this weird car thing, and I just thought it was crap. Utter, utter crap. And I remembered the music more than I remembered the game. And even then, when I re-listened to this, I just remember thinking that the music was about the best thing you could hope, and it wasn't great. This just feels like a complete lack of due care and attention to anything that was to do with Miami Vice, which was a good TV series. Very stylized, but good. So this was a cash grab promotion. And it's a very, very, very... It's a precedent that seems to be becoming more common with them. And that concerns me a little because this has no care or attention for anything for anything. What did you think? No, it's terrible. It's the same as you. Um, I should never, I mean, yeah, pointless license leads to, it should never have been licensed. It doesn't lend itself to an 8-bit game. No, um, no, it doesn't. I, I, think it's the, I think it's the general thing. But, I mean, everything was up for licensing back then. And it was just grab stuff, grab stuff, and then think about what we can do afterwards. So this was developed by somebody called Canvas, the only other game that Canvas made, according to Lemon64, is Roadrunner uh, mm. in a year later. Um, and that's the same with that we saw with V, which was Chaos, and they made that Super Bowl game, and then mm. nothing else, seemingly. So I think there's, there's something going on that these they get these li- they get these licenses, and then they just give it to somebody and go, I'll make something. And they, they have these knockoff, whoever these people are, I have no idea. But they're just there's no care or attention, it's just make something. Make something based on Miami Vice. Well, what's yeah. Miami Vice? Driving around Miami and, and trying to do mm. drugs. How do we do that on 8-bit? Well, I don't know. We've been paid some money. Let's do it. So the worst thing is that this this reminded me of, give my regards to Broad Street, as you said, but it also yep. that your car was the same car that was in the last V8. It was, yeah. Because the slightest touch of grass made it blow up. Yeah. Um, and so that's exactly the same as last V8. And so why does it just blow up in contact with anything? So I couldn't actually navigate the streets to get to any of the buildings that I was supposed to get to, because every time I turn, this is the other thing, every time I went to turn, the car sped up, and the, the turning arc was suddenly massive, yeah. rather than me just trying to edge around a corner, it just yeah. sped up, and then ran me into grass and blew me up. It's yeah. just Miami not nice. No. Um, was my was my comment. It's just, <laughs> this was rubbish. Visually, it's it's okay. I wouldn't say it's terrible visually. It looks, like you said, it doesn't like a shoe. It's not, I've seen worse it's flick screen it could have been it would have been nice if it was scrolling mm. um you know that would have lent something to it that would have required programming skills yeah that's what i think as well but and the music's like you said it's okay but as a game this is such a misfire and such a pointless thing yeah. miami vice is all about slow shots over the miami sunset with them yeah. looking cool in their you know, you know suits rolled up to yeah. Their, yeah and suits rolled up to their you know their elbows and mm. everything like that that was you know and cool and all that music that yan hammer music and yeah. and and on the you know in miami sort of bay and everything and it was all that and it was all style and this is just nothing of a nothing it's not the same style of a substance it's just crap of a rubbish yeah 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 so bad yeah bad Bad, bad, yep. bad. I didn't Crap. like this. Yep. I gave you Miami Vice, though, because I thought I'd take the next one. 
I which do feel for you. Explicably is worse. It's and shockingly worse, I think. It's shockingly worse. This, so, this actually uh, hurt me. This, this yeah, hurt. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So another, another, another licensed ocean game about a car. Um, this is Night Rider. So Night Rider. What's Night Rider? This is eight ninety five. It's got sixteen percent. So all right. So you remember Night Rider, don't you? You all remember Night Rider. You know the cool yeah. adventures of Michael My, Michael Knight and his intelligent talking car kit being sent on missions by Devon and Bonnie, who was strangely, I re- read, that was mysteriously replaced by April in season two. She was. She brought back in season... She was brought back, though, in seasons three and four. She due was. To, uh, um, you know, fan demand. She was. Um, and they also and also at the request of David Hasselhoff. She was. Anyway, uh, you know, he would travel to places with handily placed ramps, allowed Kit to soar through the air in turbo mode and Michael to punch people with not a care in the world. You remember Night Rider. It was cool. It was great. Everybody loved Night Rider great for the soundtrack. first few seasons. Great soundtrack. Stylistic, you know, great. That The car looked amazing with the yep. poof, poof, across the front. It was funny. It was It was just one. It was just a, a landmark show that everybody loved. Well, the problem is, is that the people who made this game don't know that show at all in any way because there's nothing of that game. Sorry, there's nothing of that show in this game that I can make out. Nothing. The, the, the iconic... I mean, how how hard is it to get the iconic red thing in there somewhere? Just you, it, it, God damn it. Why is that Stupid. not in? Like you, this game angered me because I have a soft spot. I know it's rubbish. You go back and you look at it and it's not great. Hey. But I have a soft... I have, it's... It's of its time, shall we say? And I have a soft spot for Night Rider, though. And 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 I, you know, to, for them to release this in the midst of Night Rider fever, mm. as we had as it was, is just a, to, you know, to to them, America's like, you know, because Night Rider was always set in and around Los Angeles. I'm presuming that's where they filmed it. So it's green. It's lots of nice landscapes, and as, you know, as Michael drives through them, this America is a grey hellhole, policed by unending helicopters, and all the roads have been painted grey and blue. And buildings are patrolled by people for no reason that I can make out. And you're just told to travel across long stretches of America for no reason. This game is garbage. I don't even really want to describe it, but the the, the, the crux of this is you get four options at the beginning. One is assassinate the Soviet president or something. Mm-hmm. Another one is save someone that's for you. Whatever you pick, essentially you get a map of America. You pick a place to drive to, kind of like Great American Cross Country road, road Race, but horribly worse. You then get this section where you drive along a a grey wasteland where, well, helicopters attack you. Now, you can choose to shoot them or drive. If you choose to shoot them, then it didn't drive. It just stayed still. I couldn't get it to move. I don't know what I was doing wrong. If you choose to drive, it shoots them every now and again. But it doesn't matter because you're never under any damage. You can, there's no threat because you'll get to your, you know, you'll slowly, boringly get to your, to your destination. Then you have to patrol the building and get through it. And, and if you get seen, it's game over. Everything is about this is terrible. The concept is bad. It plays bad. It's a real, real stinker for all the reasons that this could have actually been a decent driving game, crime solving, something kind of game. And it actually made me feel bad playing this. Yeah, I didn't like it. What about you? No, same. I thought this was a shite rider. <laughs> I was trying to think of a pun. <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking. <laughs> trying or trying. It's shocking. Uh, my first comment was, holy shit balls! what is this thing? So... It, it's just rubbish. I, 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 this is a. This was sixteen months in development. Was it? Yeah, according to the Zap review and the con and the bloody, you know and the con, and the consensus. 
So this was, and I, what I think that 16 months of development hell, I think what it is has been battered around. Nobody really knew what to do with it. I think it's a piss take, this game for 895. It's absolutely dreadful. I mean, this so we said this about we've said this about other licensed games, and I'm, and I'm I'm immediately just thinking about the last one I thought about, aside from Miami Vice, which was Danger Mouse. And I know obviously the world's apart, but you know what? What you are talking about is a fully fleshed out licensed world with characters, design, plots, music, look and feel, tonality, graphics, in the sense that you've got things you can base the game upon, and and all of that stuff, and it's just completely missing from this. The fact that it doesn't feature kit in anything other than a kind of crappy driver view, which is awful. That sequence where you're driving is so bad. It's just crap. Yep. So it's just, just when licenses go wrong, this is what you get. So I don't get how it went wrong, but it went wrong. So you end up with, and I mean, and it takes a lot to beat how bad V ended up, but this is worse than V. So I think even kit would, would literally come out back from the dead and go, Michael, please make sure that game never gets released, Michael, because it's utter shit. It's just <laughs> crap. So there's a plot about Devon, the character of Devon discovering a terrorist group. And like you said, you can sort of, you know, you've got mis- missions to complete. You have to drive to each mission. You get out the camera. You can look around locations. And it doesn't matter what all of that is because it's just rubbish. What it isn't is Michael Knight driving a futuristic car, avoiding enemies. I mean, even if, even if you just did Spy Hunter and put the, the Pontiac Firebird-looking car out of Knight Rider in this, it would have been better to do that than try this monstrosity and try and make something into this. So I think this was this was something that had been badly unfinished and un, really unreleasable. It hit the deadline and they'd done, you know what, just release it because somebody will buy it. It is utterly dreadful. The fact that this is an ocean license, it's because they were licensing everything at this point, shows me that maybe they, they just simply overwhelmed themselves with licenses of really good licensed products. I don't know how much interaction they had with the producers of that show. So Glen A. Larson's production company. I can't imagine that they would have taken it lightly to produce a game version of this. And I don't think, I can't imagine there's a world where they haven't haven't provided them with images that would stimulate the design of the so the, the the classic image of the kit car pontiac firebird with the flashing left to right red thing at the front even if it's the interior of the car with the kit talking and the flashing kit sort of lights that came on yep everything no the fact that this game doesn't feature a button to do proper turbo mode and all the things that made night rider Knight a really rider. great show yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. It, i mean if you think about it right night rider came out in 1982 Knight Rider is a car, a superpowered car that drives into the back of a lorry and can have additional superpowers added to it and chases down bad guys. That is Spy Hunter. They could have yes. just, so they should have just made this. Why didn't they just think, you know what, let's do a d- variation of Spy Hunter, maybe up the ante, put the other bits in it. But traveling from A to B could be Spy Hunter-esque. Why not do that? Just everything about it is crap. And it frustrated me. It frustrated me in, in all sorts of ways. I really like Knight Rider. I like a lot of those 80s shows, whether it's Knight Rider, Street Hawk, Automan to some extent, Manimal. I'm not even sure what that's about, but I quite like it anyway. <laughs> but Is there a game of Manimal? Airwolf. I'm not sure, actually. Airwolf and some of those other strong licenses, you know, and it's a battle of the big vehicle types, isn't it? Helicopter, car, motorbike. I don't think there was a famous train, but just, just all of this kind of stuff is all cool. Very 80s, you know, very of its time. Lots of great mm. sounds and music to explore. This is a misfire and so heavy that I think 16% is generous. I would have given this a lot less because this is asking a lot of money. It's a rip-off. It's a rip-off that's playing on people's 
passion and, and likability of Knight Rider at the time. And I feel like um, as a company, Ocean were at this point taking the piss out of the people that were buying games out there. And they were rightly called out on it on this because, and if you think about it, this raft of games that's coming out, Knight Rider, Miami Vice, Highlander, none of these licenses are, are shouting great at you. You know, they've all got problems. They're all kind of weak. It's it's terrible, really. Now, they were just lapping up all the licenses and pumping out a load of crap. I think I haven't looked in the Ocean book, the Riding the Ocean Waves book, to sort of dive into what was going on at the time. I might do that to see if there's some rationale behind this nonsense, but Shite Rider is what it is, so avoid. Yep, yep. I'm going to uh, 100% fully agree with that. It is dreadful, 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 dreadful. Yeah, that's Knight Rider. Don't play it for God's sake. So we've got one more game to come up, and that is Hot Wheels. Graham, did you enjoy your time with uh, Hot Wheels, or did you find it more sort of lukewarm? <laughs> uh, no, no, just more race car nonsense. I, this was weird. This was weird, this game. Yes, so it, yes, it was. It didn't quite know what it wanted to be, did it? So it was, it was a disc-only game, uh, so it's a 15-quidder, so it's expensive-ish, but for a disc game, it's a disc game. And if it's Hot Wheels, and my my memory of Hot Wheels was little matchbox-type cars on that kind of plastic track that could, that could bend and loop and do all sorts of crazy stuff. And yeah, you had, yeah, yeah. You had a little, Hot Wheels. Like a little firing pistol at the start. You fired it, and it went whizz around the track, and way Hot Wheels. I'm not sure there was more to it than that, but that's my memory of it. This isn't anything to do with that. You, it's like kind of a weird customise your vehicle simulator at best, and not even a great one at that. So the game starts and you pick your vehicle from an array of vehicles and then it goes through this weird customise it, but I think all you could really do at this point was spray it and, and even then I couldn't quite do that, so I ended up leaving that screen and I was presented with this side-scrolling awfulness where I'm scrolling around <laughs> yep. and, I, and, and I, think, I think the idea at that point is to drive your car into the various bays because you're driving, so it's left, so it's literally side scrolling with a vehicle side on. And then when you want to drive and sort of drive into any base, it's just instantly you push forward and you instantly sort of 3D bam in the sort of, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. So the perspective on the game is awful. And so, and I think at that point, you're meant to sort of configure your vehicle and sort of do stuff to it. I don't quite know because the, the town is in two parts. So there's an expressway where you can watch an animated version of your car do stuff. I didn't quite get the, what the idea of the game was. I wasn't sure if I was meant to be building a race car. I never got to race anything. I wasn't sure if I, what the whole purpose of it was. So I just kind of drove around slowly trying to afford paint jobs. It was, just, it was the equivalent of really bad C64 brain surgery, this game. It just removed... It lacked any, any kind of placement. I'd, it just remo- it removed brain cells as you were looking at it. And it's just, it looked crap. It was really old looking. It was launched in 1984. So that maybe explains a bit of that. Just, I just my, my comment was just die. This game just needs to die, die. Just stop, die. <laughs> Instantly stop and die. It just had no, it held nothing for me. All the things I felt about having Hot Wheels were eroded and destroyed by this slow paint your car simulator from what, from what I could gather. I didn't get the idea that there was a big race behind this anyway, because I never encountered one, did you? Well, I kind of did, um, and I kind of didn't. So I found this... I think what this is is a toy car simulator. So it's a simulator of, like, doing different things, and there's various things a you can brum, do. With brum, brum, pushy d- car. Demolition kind of derby. Yeah, but like you, I couldn't make head nor tail of the um, 
uh, customize your car section. I couldn't do anything, so I just drove the car out. Then if you drive up to any of the different points and you, you honk your horn, you can go do them. So I, I went up to the car wash and then just sat there for five minutes while my car went through a car wash. I didn't. You don't do anything. You just sit there and watch. It's automatic. I'm like, this is this is a game? I don't know what this is. <laughs> then I, I managed to get onto the freeway which drives you to another thing where there's some other things you can do. Again, it's all automatic. I drove back down the freeway, back the other way, found the demolition derby, went in there, and it was this awful top-down four-car demolition derby. At that point, I turned it off. It's uh, this. It seems an utter, uh, utterly pointless toy car simulator that is no worth to anyone. And I'm not sure who this was aimed at because it's too frustrating and ultimately boring for kids, and it's just nothing to it for older teenagers at the time. And I've noted that you know, I used to have loads of Matchbox cars uh, in a big tub of them, and it's probably mm. most a lot of kids did back then. Yeah, we all yeah, had yeah. all these kind of matchbox cars of all kinds of stuff, which you just kind of pick up from either people giving you as presents, older siblings, all these kind of stuff. And I, I would rather have just played with them on my carpet than this nonsense. Yeah, and and I often probably did. You know, it's, to me, this was like Knight Rider and Miami Vice, just another pointless license. Yes. Oh, it's digital. It's digital Hot Wheels. You're missing the entire point of Hot Wheels. As you said, it's Hot yep. Wheels. It's hot, hot Wheels. They're supposed to go fast and crazy, and you're flinging them downstairs, and you build your track over stuff, and they go fast, and they yep. fling through the sm- smash cups and stuff because that's what you did. And all the danger and everything and all the, the excitement of putting them to go through things where you shouldn't you know, put them through and, and all that kind of stuff as you build your tracks in place, and your mum comes down and is like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. What are you doing with my precious crockery? Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing. It's, 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 holding up, it's holding up the track. It's, a, it's important. It's all gone. It's all gone for this nonsense. So I, I didn't understand. I just didn't understand the point of this game. I couldn't get my head around no, it. And, I, and for f- 15 quid at disc only, Jesus Christ. Rip off. No. No, no, no. Nope. 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 Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Five Cold and a quarter discs. inches of being bummed. No, thanks. <laughs> Sounds like my Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it really is. I actually play a bum. <laughs> yeah, he does in a play. Out on the yes, street. Yes, yeah. um, anyway, there we go. That's our first section of games. That's a, a real bumper crop of crap. Yeah, Supercycle um, was but good. It, but... Supercycle was ace, but uh, the, the other three are just licensed nightmares. Yeah. Yep. So uh, on that note, I'm going to hand over to our, our sponsor. We're going to say something about sponsor. And we'll be back in a brief moment with Film and TV for October 1986. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find stories influenced by classic games from the Commodore 64 and Amiga. His next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is coming soon. When Sarah finds herself pulled into the old computer and zapped aboard a space freighter full of droids just waiting to be blasted or influenced, can she stay alive long enough to beat the game for real? Or will it be a case of transmission terminated? Sounds like she's not paranoid to think these paradroids are after her. Visit davidhernwriter.com, that's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com, to find out loads and loads and loads more. Welcome back. We are back. It is film and TV for October 1986. It cannot be stopped. It's coming. <laughs> it will not be stopped. It probably should be stopped. <laughs> I don't know. 12th of October should have been. Right, what's going on in TV? Let's get into this. 4th of October, the BBC BBC One aired the British television premiere of Dick Lowry's adventure film, Wet Gold. 
<laughs> Wed Gold Pet House Video presents <laughs> Wed Gold. Young, it's got a young Brooke Shields in it, so it's still getting a bit weird. Mm. Um, it's a weird live action mix of Goonies and Ratatouille's vibe. Yeah, it's some weird hunt for sunken treasure, isn't yeah. it? I, I'd, I'd never heard of it. So the wait- a waitress gets convinced that there's treasure in a sunken ship, so she just organizes a team to go and find it, like you do. You know, waitresses all know deep sea divers. It's just stupid, stupid film. Yeah, I remember. You ever heard though, of it? I, I had heard of it and I, I have seen it, but long time ago and possibly on the 4th of October, 1986 is the last time I saw it because I remember having a bit of a fascination about Brooke Shields. So maybe it was mm-hmm. part of that. I'd, I couldn't honestly tell you if it was a legitimate fascination or um, I'm not sure. Was it to do with, uh, was what was the, no, not Castaway, was it? What was the... Uh... Yeah, she's in a film where she's on a desert island, isn't she? And what's it called? Uh, Brooke Brooke uh, Shields on a desert island. It's not Brooke Shields. That's not what it's called. <laughs> no. it Maybe in your mind. That's what I remember of it. <laughs> oh, what's it called? It's not Castaway. Um, it's um. Had it's Hadaway. <laughs> what is love? Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. That's better than Hadaway. What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't Hadaway. hurt me. Um, Brooke Shields, yes, very pretty girl. Yeah, she was. 12th of October, god damn it, Every Loser Wins, <sighs> performed by the actor Nick Berry, begins a three-week run at the top of the UK singles yes. chart after featuring in recent episodes of EastEnders. Episodes. Talk about plugging it. Oh, the song was an instant don't. hit on release and went on to win its writers and Ivan Novello. Don't, don't even go down that road, down the Ivan Novello causeway. I, I made my position clear on this anomalous ditty. I, I actually didn't realise how much, and I looked into this, how much airtime the BBC gave it on EastEnders, and it was a lot. Not only was it in episodes, but it was a key thematic feature of a storyline. Where, was it? Yeah, because Nick Berry was in a band in EastEnders, with which Sharon was, remember? And, and he wrote this song, and then he left the band, and then Curly Watts decided to produce it, and it became a big hit. And it just, they ended up playing this song a lot. So, and he ends up singing it, I think, to Sharon or to somebody he's romantically interested in in the show. And so, and everyone was like, oh, it's that song that was really, oh, every loser wins. It's like, just... Honestly, he just took a turd in a matchbox and gave it to her. <laughs> it's the same difference. <laughs> Whose turd was it? If he took it, where did he take it from? Do, Is it do, his own? Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, d- I don't know. Here, was it yours? Do, 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 do. I don't know. Anyone uh, can fall in, in love. love. Especially <laughs> if every loser can win, because that's the logic. Um, we seem obsessed with EastEnders and stupid. I <laughs> can't. All we can find. I, I don't like this song i don't like it it won an ivan novello for its lyrics it's just it's just it's incomprehensible i don't know how that happened but let me just reassure anyone that listens to this podcast that every loser does not win but they do win if they're given corporate tv sponsorship and relentless airplay there's a chance that yeah. a loser will win and his name might have been nick berry so but and, and in other patterns of life losers don't win a winner might lose but a loser cannot overly win because they wouldn't be a loser if they did they'd be a winner wouldn't they no more now move on I, I can feel i can feel myself getting kind of it's triggering me i'm getting triggered 14th of october bbc2 begins regular late afternoon programming by showing a film during the second half of the gap between the end of daytime on two and the start of the evening's program between the this second is what we had the second half of the gap 
Does that not tell you that TV was just an inconsequential thing at the time? It's like, oh, what are we going to put in the second half of the gap? What's in the first half of the gap? That's the most, that surely is the most <laughs> important part of the gap. If you're talking about gaps, the first, the first half's very important. Well, the thing is, if you're doing it in the second half of the gap, there's still a gap. There is. A gap. A gap is a gap. <laughs> a gap is a gap, yeah. Which side of the gap are you on? <laughs> Filling part of it still leaves a gap. Just a different size gap. Yes. It's like I've half filled that hole. Yes. But it's still a hole then, isn't it? The second half of the gap. Mind the gap. There's, you know what? You cannot... If you talk to millennials, recent millennials, my young son, you're probably yours, maybe. If you talk to them about... And, and then, by the way, you've only got their attention span for eight seconds with this. If you talk to them have, about... Yeah. Uh, no, you don't know how difficult you've got it because, you know, we didn't live in a world where there's no internet, no this, no that, no that. And you try and talk to them and convince them of the whole idea of TV twitching off at certain times. It just, they just go... They turn some dot matrix printers. Just, the brains just go completely wrong. <laughs> it's not something that they can comprehend. It makes no sense to them. There is not a world that they can imagine. It, they can't. It's impossible no, to them imagine it. So I've tried and I've just watched that whole dot matrix printer. Man, what are you doing? Oh, my God, this paper coming out of your mouth. Okay, I'm going to It doesn't compute. Oh, okay, that's weird. You've never done that before. Um, so, uh, but they still claim to be bored, even now with all the crazy stuff they've got going on. Oh, it's bored. I'm like, really? What, between Netflix, Amazon Prime, all the various options you've got, Disney, games, Disney, your PC, you're Xbox, bored, right? PlayStation, you're bored, Switch. You don't know what bored is. Let me tell you what bored is. Stop doing that. What? What's that say? <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm not listening. It's clever how you do that. It is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I genuinely, you weren't born with that. How, did, how have you done that? Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And BBC Two, I didn't watch a lot of BBC Two in October 1986. Well, I can't say I did as well. I mean, I was at school, well, so. You, you was I always watching, watching it. You was like, you was like the, you always used to come to school. You had a BBC Two t-shirt. You were like, and you was, in fact, you, your true. name was AD and now on two mills. <laughs> That's just because I used to go to the toilet a lot. <laughs> But yeah, from the 14th of October, our world was decidedly gappy less. Because, uh, less gappy. Less gappy because of the things that were either side of the gap. Yeah. Yeah. During the second half of the gap. Yeah. What was, I don't understand it. Is that, it's a one gap or are there two gaps with something in the middle anyway? I, d- I don't know. I'm just it's, it's all starting to sound horrible. Yeah, anyway, 18th of October. This is equally as bizarre. Channel 4 starts weekend morning broadcasting with weekend transmissions now beginning at around 9.25am. Programming had previously started at 1pm. So they were filling, still filling at half a gap. Yeah, but uh, it's that it's that whole at around 9.25. What time should we start at? I don't know. About 9.25, maybe <laughs> what time 9.30. What was on? I don't remember anything being on Channel 4 mornings because morning. in the mornings at the weekends that was like saturday morning kids tv wasn't it so i don't think i ever changed the channel up <laughs> i actually sat and thought i never hit channel four for maybe seven years <laughs> on a saturday i never hit i never hit that button i didn't know what it did <laughs> no i never well, like, did on our either. original tv and we're going back to if i was going back to 1986 i would possibly argue that the tv we had at the time would only have had an itv2 button on it because it had BBC One, BBC Two, ITV One and ITV Two because it was a real old set. We had it changed, I think, in 19... It could have been a bit earlier than that. But I don't remember there being a, a Channel 4 button on it. And even if I did, I never pressed it. I say that, no. but we've, there's been Red Triangle stuff on on Friday night. So I was aware of Channel 4 because I was, you know, clearly into my foreign movies and, and all the diverse content that was in those. But mm-hmm. Saturday yeah. morning, what did they put on? What did Channel 4 show on? I, but didn't you find it weird, though, that the Ferguson, Ferguson portables that we had, I always found it weird that they had 
eight buttons. They did, yes. They were they had eight eight channels, and like, what what do you? Well, you've got one, two, three, four. Then the Commodore sixty four you plugged into one, mm. and then the other three. Well, you're hoping, you know. I think they were actually built by somebody from the future that knew the future. Maybe, or maybe they were. Maybe they were just sort of sold all across the world, and other places had more channels. Yeah, well, there is that as well. Well, America did; they had more channels, but you know, the Ferguson they had way more, didn't they? Ferguson TVs, the which were kind of, I think, almost handed out in the 80s to just everybody <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they were I don't know anyone that didn't have some kind of Ferguson <laughs> product you know it was incredible do you need, really. a, te- do you need a telly well I was looking for a here's a Ferguson I have one do you need a video recorder yeah. portable. here's a Ferguson video star does it is it any good <laughs> they're all good because everything <laughs> is Ferguson so <laughs> Ferguson is synonymous with good yeah they are I mean later down like our Ferguson video star Enormo player because it was massive and it had features on it that made no sense to anybody it had a times two button and a reverse record and weird stuff why would it have that yeah I remember the person who gave us our sort of thing he cut his finger and he bled gravy really weird <laughs> like Conal Cochran's one of his yeah. men <laughs> so I never trusted that video recorder yeah. after, I, after he as soon as you press play it was like how do you make it stop doing that Alan Alan <laughs> yeah never never, tr- never trust salesmen who bleed gravy do you know here's a here's a, 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 fa- a fact a true fact but it's not totally related to this we have <laughs> we when we're talking about video recorders prior to us having a vhs recorder for a period of time we don't talk about this very often obviously and um, we had a a v- v2000 do you remember them yeah, I do vaguely remember the, the, tapes, the tapes you could turn the tapes upside down it was like a it was dual-sided but like an audio cassette, you could take the video, well, the V2000 tape out. The video recorder itself, the V2000, was massive. It was yep. this enormous thing. It didn't last long. We had one for a very short period of time, and then we quickly got a VHS because I remember we got it from a company called uh, Vision Hire, and they were like, "Oh, it's the future of telly. This, it's the, it's this V2000, Philips, I think it was." V2000, yeah, amazing, yeah, ver- reverse. And we couldn't, there was no, we went to the video shop. like, you got, you know, Cannonball Run and the V2000. It's like, the V what? Like, All right, yeah, we need to rethink, <laughs> we need to rethink this plan, Dad, because you know, nobody's heard of this stupid thing. Anyway, so we ended up getting an ordinary VHS after that. But yeah, yeah V2000. Wise decision. It was, it was a wise decision. I had a Betamax for a little while, someone gave me one for free. Well, that's um, the only way you'd have one, because Ga- I know Gary had one, didn't he? He was, he was always big on his Betamax. Well, that's because he was weird. And everyone with the Betamax <sighs> bored you with the quality conversation. Oh, the quality is much better on a Betamax. Just shut up. Your tapes are shit, and nobody rents them out properly, so go away. <laughs> you can only buy them from a chemist down Freeman Street. That's, you know, if we're going to have a format war, all right, this is the equivalent of me having a samurai sword, and you've got a, a plastic knife from a cracker, and I'm going to win this <laughs> battle. I'm going to stab you with this metal sharpened sword and your little puny <laughs> cracker dagger is going to do nothing but maybe break the skin with a hard push. Eh, so, wouldn't no. need a hard but never, push. Never, glad, thankfully, it never came down to you know, battles to the death with our friends. I like to think that that was you know, where we were. <laughs> Out of our 13 qua- quailus on the... Uh... <laughs> Quat lose on the VHS. On the VHS. Twenty seventh of October. Twenty seventh of October. Oh, look at me. Twenty seventh of October. Ooh, Halloween. BBC nearly. One starts a full daytime television service. It's going off this month. This is when they decided oh, we it. need to enough's put more enough. TV into yeah. your. We need to put more TV into your brain eyes. Yes. Um, before today, excluding special events coverage. BBC One had closed down at times during weekday mornings and afternoons. I love that. I've closed down at times. Have we got anything for today? No. It's the C3PO mentality. I'm just going to close down for a while. Yeah. Switch back um, on. I need bro- you now. Don't close down. 
<laughs> trade test transmissions and from May 83 pages from CFAX. Oh, the thrill. That's not content. That's just text. No, I know it isn't. It's just text on the screen. Unless it was Digitizer. Digitizer was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, BBC Two also expands its programming hours, providing a full afternoon service for the first time. But it wasn't until the end of the decade that BBC Two was on air all day, every That's day. That's crazy. It's at the end of the decade. So in the- Well, it's weird that on the 14th of October, they started showing a film in the second half of the gap. And then by the end of October, they expanded its programming hours all day. It's like that, that gap didn't last very but long. you know what? At this point, it'd be, and now on BBC Two, we're going to film a garden plant for two hours. <laughs> Because they had no content, they had nothing. What they're going to put in that time? They didn't know what they were doing, did they? So all it was That's was true. No, this is BBC Two. We've no idea what we're putting on now. It could be anything. Just tune in because please do because we've got to put something on. Here's a picture of a grape. It's just, it's just it didn't know what but, they were doing. But but as part of the new service, here we go. Australian soap Neighbours makes uh, its British television debut on BBC One a year after its first aired in its homeland. Neighbours. Neighbours. No doubt. No. Good <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Harold. So many great moments from Neighbours. <laughs> it's funny, Harold. actually. I, I, I put a link on our little show notes to uh, the soap opera wiki page for Neighbours, and that's actually got the details of what happens in episode one in there and the original cast. And what I, I actually wanted to go back and try and remember who was in the original, original episode. Because obviously there was the Robinsons. It was basically three families, wasn't it? There was the Robinsons. The Mangles. The Mangles and the Charlene's family, whatever they were called. The, the Minogues. What was, their, what was the, what was the surname of them? I don't know. Robinsons? No, because no, there was no. That's um, there was the Robinsons. It was the Robinsons, the Robinsons, the Mangles and the... Charlene and, and, and Madge Bishop, not Madge Bishop, but she was Madge something before that, wasn't she? Anyway, th- that oh, yeah, was the... She, she married Harold. Because there was Helen... Harold! Yeah, Harold! Daniels. And it was he- Daniels. Helen, Helen Daniels, Daniels was in it. I don't know if... She, I don't know. So, but it, there's an, an interesting sort of cast in there originally and instantly starts with somebody going round to somebody's house because they're trying to get them to turn the noise down for a stag party and the stripper is one of the guy's wives, I think. I can't remember the details of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember reading it briefly and going, wow, that all happened in episode one. No wonder it was popular. That's different to Coronation Street. I watched Neighbours later after this. I didn't I didn't tune in immediately. I started watching it when it started to get a little bit, when my teenage hormones started to kick in a little bit more and there was kind of hot looking Australian women in it. So, was, uh, and yeah, then yeah. Callie Minogue okay. aside, there was, uh, there was, what's the name? There was, you know, Pl- there was Plain, Plain Jane, Jane Super Brain, yeah. Goodness me. Which, which was uh, Natalie Umbrulia. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. No, no, she was in it later. No, uh, Plain Jane Superbrain uh-huh. was Annie something of the... Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yes. And yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. again, as an interesting little you know, segue, I was obviously in demo group. We've talked about that many times. And, and one of the people I traded, and I don't know who this was, so please forgive me if you do listen to this. One of the people I traded demos and software with was in Australia. And I remember writing to them and sending them some discs and some wares, as you did when you were into that kind of thing, and asking them if he'd send me some pictures back of this of ne- this this girl from Neighbours, whose name escapes me now. And he sent me back all these really cool pictures and sexy photos and everything else in his package. <laughs> I remember getting it and opening it and, and all these pictures sort of flying out in front of my mum and dad. And I was like, oh, no. And they were like, what, what have you got? What have you sent off for? I'm like, oh, I haven't. And it was just like, it was like really scanty pictures that he'd found of this woman in the various Australian press at the time. Nothing too racy, but as far as my mum and dad concerned, I'd been sent porn from Australia. They were like outraged. I was like, it's nothing like that. Look, look at the discs. I'm getting discs. Anyway. 
Um, yeah, that, and that quickly did dispel the idea that I was turning into some Australian loving pervert. They were like, actually, he's got discs. He's still a geek. Don't worry about it. He's, no women, there's no women in his immediate future. It's all good. So it's all uh, interesting. But yeah, that, 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 did, that genuinely did happen. And I can't remember that woman's name, but I remember wow. playing Jane Superbrain. I remember Gary also being a big fan of her as well, by the way. If you listen to this, Gary, which you may or may not do, I know, we know what you did about that. We know. We know. Yeah, we've seen We're not going to say it. We don't need to talk about it. We know exactly what happened. And that's why Absolutely. your right hand became very powerful and dominant in your life. <laughs> I talk about it with my therapist to this day. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's nightmares that can be had about even the, the very idea of that. <laughs> anyway, 29th of October was uh, The Equalizer, a US crime drama star series starring Edward Woodward <laughs> makes its British television debut on ITV. Oh, this show. Man, did you did you watch this a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum my, my brother used to we used to, used to have all this used to lap this American stuff up so I would watch it as well because it would be putting off going to bed. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. age it? fourteen. I don't know what time it was on. It was about bedtime, wasn't it? About it was nine o'clock. Nine, it was nine, a nine o'clock, o'clock show. Yeah. So it's it post watershed, yeah, because it was kind of half violent. I don't do you remember much about the show? Do you remember um, much about what, it? I mean, it was essentially sort of more. It was like a a, a one man a team, wasn't he? Yeah, essentially because he would get he would get hired or he would go help out people who would get menaced in lifts. I seem to remember from the uh, title <laughs> sequence. That's um, I remember. I don't know why. <laughs> so always a bit everyone remembers. So the people would get menaced and they would have some problems. And like the a team, if you could find him, you would ask him to help out, and he would be this you know this aging English dude who would talk in English at them and be a bit threatening and not really do much and then would sort of do I think he would beat people up every now and again but not very well I don't really much remember but no. that's my that's my overriding memory of it yeah. and then they were always in, then they were always in a lift getting menaced <laughs> So that's my memory of it. So there's bits that I remember quite distinctly. Obviously, I remember, like everyone remembers, the lift. I remember the Jaguar XJ6, you know, in the cut of the and the smoke screen, the smoke with the headlights and him sat on the bonnet of his car. One EX ex-British Secret Service or something, well, or MI5. Or I hope so, because it's Edward something. Woodward, you know. I think previous to that, I think I'd watched him in the in the Wicker Man, getting burned alive at the stake as Sergeant Howie. So he didn't strike me as like a real tough guy. He was kind of, it was a bit weird. And he advertised in the kind of personal ads, didn't he? He's like, you need a problem solving. I'm the, sol- I'm the guy that solves problems. So... I remember it for, for a couple of reasons. I remember the opening sequence in the bit in the lift. I don't remember much about what happens in the show other than he, like you say, he's hired to correct problems, A-team style. Let's, 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 uh, Wikipedia says it's that Edward Woodward is Robert McCall, a former covert operations officer at an unnamed US government intelligence organization, which was often referred to simply as the agency or the company mm. who tried to atone for his past by offering, usually free of charge, his services as a troubleshooter, protector, and investigator. People in need found him through a newspaper classified ad. Got a problem? Odds against you? Call the equalizer. Blah, blah, blah. When he began the business in the pilot episode, the nickname Equalizer revealed is bestowed on him by an operative named Brahms, who was played by Jerry Stiller. Mm. There you go. He had loads of mysterious contacts going thing, and he would he would go up against delivering justice upon bullies, corrupt police and politicians, hoodlums, and- mobsters rapists, racist, murderers, kidnappers, drug dealers, and other truly deserving mm. people. And a partridge Please do not do anything in you a pear tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. So that, that's what it was. It was essentially a one-man A-team. He was. And so that, that is, I remember the thematics. I remember the music. Stuart Copeland did the music, didn't he? The drummer from The Police. Yes, the yes, he did, yes. Doing the music. Yeah. I have vague memories of him 
writing wrongs. No idea what the wrongs were that he righted. But I do remember the CompuNet demo of the intro sequence on the 64, which was done in 1986. So we're going way, way back, which featured in the pages of Zap in the CompuNet. Famously, at the image of the equalizer, that car image with the lights and the headlights. We'll put a link on the show notes. I've actually put a link to the YouTube video that's out there. And there's, you can actually download the demo and try it on your own your own thing if you want to. There you go. I posted the picture for you. <laughs> yeah, there it is. So that image, that shadowy figure in front of his Jaguar, that was replicated on the Commodore 64 in a very famous image. And that you can download that demo and try it for yourself but that's my memories of it the tv show itself it was the, the buffer it was one of those it's like the professionals before it it was like i just want to watch the equalizer no oh, all right yeah, yeah exactly yay yeah. um but edward woodward's a weird choice i mean his name's stupid anyway but edward woodward was is dead now and he is definitely dead it was a weird choice <laughs> to play the the equalizer well, he, got, he got burnt in a giant effigy well he did yes he was he famously went on a little holiday to um summer isle <laughs> scotland fell foul of the villagers <laughs> went around accusing them of all sorts of stuff didn't get into their kind of you know into village antics let's just call it that made a big fuss accused a few people of doing two things and in classic aliens tradition a few deaths were involved um, his I'm mainly shocked. <laughs> <laughs> he was a was it a cyberdyne system yes it was a model 122 no yeah. well he always was a bit twitchy <laughs> he was very t- in that he's very twitchy very twitchy in the wicker man wore a sw- deliberately wore a police uniform two sizes too small for him to make him look stiff which is not something anyone ever wants to say about anything. Anyway, moving on. That's what I do with my pants. Yes, that's how I wear my trousers. Two sizes too small. But, but, but only on blue pant day. <laughs> yeah, I like to make myself look stiff. Uh, I mean strong. I mean, uh, yeah. Moving on. Anyway, what films I mean, were out? I mean, I mean robust. <laughs> I mean robust. Um, what films were out? That's your TV. What films were out? Well, it's a big one, she said. 3rd of October, Top Gun. Yes. Okay, so, so, so it's going to be the big one for this month, isn't it? Let's face it. Top Gun comes out on the 3rd of October. Now, I went to see Top Gun yes, at the cinema too. on the Thursday night before opening through getting free tickets through the sun. They did a big thing about it. Wow. And that cinema was rammed. It was packed. It was lo- it was just jam-packed with was people it full who got of free tickets women? on the sun. It could well have been. I was just there to see Tom Cruise, man. <laughs> <laughs> And goose yeah. in a in a in a goose. platonic relationship. Yeah, totally platonic. <laughs> and, and never and will anyone say anything about that again. And Iceman and all kinds of other mm. stuff. Um, no, it, yeah. So I saw that at the cinema uh, as you do, and it was. Uh, I, I just remember there was it was. A, I think most my friends from school and everything were going, so it's like a no, big school night out. Don't. So it was just one of those things, and I remember just sitting at the back, and you know, woo, they. I mean, top, you, top, you had some top of the friends I did. They tortured me with that film. From the minute they were, the, 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 some of the people that we know, we mutual friends to some extent, who went to <laughs> well, see that film. How did they torture you with it? Because after they watched that film, they changed. They went from being just the people that talked about stuff to people that talked about aeroplanes constantly. And they'd go on cycle tours to Binbrook Airfield, which was a local oh, RAF right. base. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. and they even referred to each other as Iceman and Maverick. And it's like just remember hearing them talk and going, I have never normally wished you to be run over by anything. But if you don't stop talking, <laughs> I swear I'm I'm wanting a lorry to hit you. They just they just never shut up about this 
film. I mean, don't get me wrong, Top Gun's a great film. I think I've actually uh, warmed to Top Gun over the years. Actually, yeah, it's not I've a great film. I've to it massively. Well, it's but... not a great film. It's just a film about... It's influential, I agree. Yeah, and it's really a is. film heavily of its time. And so this very, you know, it's a totally high concept, not a lot of plot, lots of music video-y stuff, very influenced by the media around it. And now it's a package of stuff put together, a package of star, music, high-octane aeroplane footage mixed into a plot that basically is nothing whatsoever and it's just that and you know it's the rocky four equivalent of an aeroplane movie it's, it means nothing it doesn't really have much to say it's just a bit stupid yeah it's, but, it's high it's high concept nonsense for the mid 80s it's more mon- it's more montage than beach yeah, volleyball totally and, totally and, 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 and it's a vehicle to sell merchandise and songs yeah absolutely and, yeah and, 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 and that's fine if that's it's an advert for stuff and that's fine that's what it is and it's you know to say that this is if this is if this isn't a citizen kane this isn't some great plot you know complex plot guy flies airplane airplane doesn't fly so well friend dies in airplane man falls in love with woman woman doesn't quite like man Man flies the airplane again, has a kind of a problem. The airplane comes good, fights off the bad guys for no reason. For some reason, the Russians try to invade in a weird twist that really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird at the end, that bit. Well, it's because it's in, it is literally the last 10 minutes ago. The Russians are invading. Beep, 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 fire missiles. No repercussions. Well, I, th- I think it's more about, like, have you actually remembered that we're supposed to be fighting the Russians at the moment? No, this film's not about that. We're fighting the Russians at the moment. Have yeah, you not seen yeah, Rocky yeah. Four? Yeah, they're just... Oh. It just you no, know, okay. and, and it was about you know uh, check out the technology on that. Now these are the you know these are amazing aircraft. You know look out Russia with your MIG, whatever that means, your inferior MIG technology. <laughs> We've got these you know these F fourteen, F fifteen Tomahawk, whatever the hell they were. Um, and I should know more because the school friends that I alluded to earlier never stop banging on about the stupid names of these aircraft. Yeah, but you just stop listening at some point, don't you? Yeah, you're like, yeah. I'm not listening oh, to you anymore because... It's an F-14 Tomcat. Who cares? Like, is it? Is it? Is it? What's that sound? Oh, that's you falling off a cliff as I push you now. Um, so, <laughs> fly yeah. now. Yeah, fly. how's that sound? Uh, um, <laughs> that's what a Tomahawk sounds uh, Not Tomahawk. See, I should have listened. Yeah. Anyway, long and short of it is not a great film in any respect, really. Stupid. Lots of high-fiving American good-looking guys, high-fiving each other and bum slapping each other in the showers and probably stuff that later down the line we might look on as more suspicious than we did at the time doesn't matter long and the short of it was very influential in terms of the way it presented itself this was just a big advert and it was made by a guy that made adverts so he knew yeah, exactly was, how to make yeah. an advert because he'd filmed the the Saab advert yes. which featured a Saab Vigan which is the aircraft in that now I know, only know that because of the bloody people I hung about with who was into this stupid <laughs> film so and but you, but you remember that, you know, well, I do remember yeah because I remember I really remember the advert where there's the Saab car and the airplanes going along after it and because he did that and you know I'm sure there's a whole series of things that happened I remember it more by reading the book High Concept which is the autobiography or biography which is the one when they're dead either way the, it'd be a biography you can't write an autobiography I was going to yeah, say the biography of uh, Don Simpson who was one of the co-producers because there's Don and Jerry Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer Don Simpson famously died sadly died from an overdose of Hollywood this is and his, and his <laughs> life story you kids are calling it on the street these days <laughs> um, he just you know he lived the life of a famous Hollywood producer and everything that you can imagine the debauched life of a Hollywood producer is he did and it eventually 
actually killed him. And Top Gun is one of the films that features heavily in that book. I would recommend anyone that wants to really know on how both Top Gun and Days of Thunder were actually made, read oh, that book. Thund- Days because, of Thunder's a joke. Well, Days of Thunder will come to that as well because that comes after this. So at some point we'll talk about Days of Thunder, but it's just the car equivalent of Top Gun anyway. Uh, I actually like Top Gun for different reasons. Not because of the story of the film or anything else. The film's neither here nor there. The soundtrack for Top Gun and the, the thematic and the way it looks and the way it plays out is very 80s but very interesting and I quite like it for that and the music is ace I love the soundtrack to Top Gun so yeah no no that's all, no, really that's all fair and point we can't all forget you know and, I, and the one thing I would say is that there's a famous beach volleyball scene in Top Gun we all you know there's an entire Quentin Tarantino speech about it just you know go and google that and if you really want to un- un- get another reading of the film go and listen to Quentin Tarantino's entire dialogue about how he feels about the Top Gun movie mercifully the only thing I can say is that the friends that I was hanging around with at school who were into this film never reenacted that scene because it would <laughs> it would have been horrific there'd have been little teenage man boobs and pasty skin and flobby flesh <laughs> flobbing about trying to do beach volleyball nothing like hanging out with the boys in the film it would have been embarrassing to the point when it would have just been no t-shirt tans so no 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 thank god 5th of october (laughs) the frog prince so if you didn't fancy any plays you could have gone see the frog print like like anyone saw that when that came out (laughs) no no one did it it was in this dad can we go and see the frog prince no we're going to see top gun but that interesting airplanes you are now yeah, Helen Hunt was in it, and John Paragon as the front prince. It's animation, isn't it? Yeah, it's, is that the one with Vincent Price in it? Uh, I don't know. It's it's not animation. I oh no, it's, sorry, no, it's I'm thinking with, Basil. I'm thinking, with, yeah, I'm thinking Basil. Basil, it's, the it's great master. It's got prosthetics, disturbing <laughs> prosthetics. The grim fairy tales are all really peculiar in my book. Yeah, so really weird that one. Anyway, tenth of October, Basil the Great Mouse Detective. That's so got Vincent weird. Price in it, but forgettable. Yeah, just one of the voices. Yeah, That's a, that is film. a Disney film, but it's completely forgettable. It is. I've completely forgotten about yeah, it. Totally. Yeah. Completely. Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge came out on the seventeenth of October. So, do, do you remember much about I, the second one? Yeah, uh, it's Freddy's Revenge, isn't it? Sort of thing. So it's the one where the uh, the tongue comes out the phone is the bit I remember. Yeah, it's like the person's on the phone. He's blah, 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 and it's like yeah. come, comes out. It the carries on from the yeah, kind of. It's the it's the it's the guy, and I remember the bit where Freddy sort of crawls out of him. He rips him apart from the inside. That's right. Yeah. Um, I seem to remember that possesses people by a swimming pool, as I remember, and kills lots. Yeah, of people. Yeah, it's all it's it's more Freddy nonsense. I think it's. It's a, it's more like the first one than the sequels would become as they head off into you know Dream parody, and- parody and all that kind of nonsense and you know and also as well the thing is with this is that they've already they've already realised that the because the main draw obviously Nightmare on Elm Street you know Freddy's kept in the dark like kind of like the shark in Jaws and everything like that Freddy's just a part of the film they've already realised you know with the subtitle Freddy's Revenge mm. that just like the first Friday the Thirteenth was not about Jason Voorhees. The mm. uh, Halloween was, ba- you know, the shape is barely in it until we get to Halloween two, and then it's more because it's something mm. like Carpenter and you know Michael Myers becomes how how can he go around and and this is following that same thing. It's now this is not about nightmares. This is about Freddy, mm. and I think this is where this one comes in. This is where that starts. Which is what was the divergent thing for Wes Craven to step away from the whole that deal for some time, really? Yeah, until he made the bloody awful new nightmare or what it was, or Wes Craven's yeah. final nightmare. Of, yeah, yeah, God. Yeah. I watched no. that recently. No. Awful. No. Dreadful. But yeah, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. Legal Eagles was on the 24th of October. Yeah, Robert Redford, Deborah Winger, Daryl Hannah, uh, directed by Ivan Wright when you put... Yeah, it's a, it's just a, it's a mid-80s 
sort of legal another high concept thing. movie you know throw the stars together there'll be a song somewhere from legal eagles now we're legal eagles <laughs> i think by, it's a bit um, more serious than by that. billy crandon yeah, yeah it maybe is. maybe you know but, the, the cover of it right. doesn't shout that but it maybe is i don't know much about it no it doesn't um i don't think it's quite as playful as the as the cover well ivan wright is not he's famous for more comedic stuff isn't he he is. I can't remember much of it, no. but just reading the plot, it sounds like it's a bit weird. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's probably a film that's a bit mixed up. Yes, I don't doubt. Probably. Um, and then on the twenty sixth of October, there was Smart Money. There was, which I don't even know anything about. Do you know anything about that film? Yeah, never... it's a BBC presentation, I think. I read the blurb, and it sounded a bit like a mix between Tron, Last Starfighter, and War Games. Oh, about, yeah, I did about, look at this. About hackers like, oh, and stuff like that. It actually sounded pretty intriguing, and apparently the hacking scenes in it are actually pretty authentic hacking scenes. So I'd be interested to have another look at that. I might track that down and have a look at it, because those sort of films do intrigue me, and it wasn't one I'd... I, rem- I remembered it more when I looked at the images and some of the stuff that was in it more than the name of it and anything else, but... Again, I probably haven't seen that since 1986. Well, the, so the, the, the top review on IMDb doesn't sell it. It says 1 out of 10. This has got to be one of the most embarrassingly bad films I've ever seen. The director managed to turn out bad performances from every member of the cast and the script was laughable. It was an effort to sit right through it. So you enjoy that. I'm going to watch that then. <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds great. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I'm in there. All right. So there you go. So, <laughs> Uh, right, that's it. That's your TV and uh, films for October 1986. There's not much to really say about it. Edward Woodward, Tom Cruise, Nick Berry, Gaps. <laughs> don't know what else to say about it, really. Just weird stuff going on. Yes. The 80s were a strange time. We'll be back after this short message where we will conclude our look at the games from October 1986 and have a few more crap verts as well. So please stay with us. <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Coming soon, Dave's next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, will take you back to the days of big hair, mixtapes, acid wash jeans, and trivial pursuit. Yes, it's the 80s again, as Sarah must find a way out of the bread bin with the help of her brother Reese. Though, if he leaves her in there, more Pop Tarts for him. Hmm, decisions, decisions. Dave's podcast pick is Beyond the Forbidden Forest. Now, that was spooky. They don't make them like they used to, do they, Dave? All right, welcome back. We're in our last set of games, um, and there's some crap verts, and then we are out of here. We're done. So let's get into this. So what's first? Hacker 2 is the sequel to last year's Hacker. That's what it is. So once again, we are in clandestine spy territory as we were in Hacker. Uh, But this is a very different game and there's a lot to say about this or maybe there isn't. I don't know. So there's a lot of quite in-depth mechanics to this and there's a very challenging scenario that you have to work your way through that requires quite a lot of the player. So the plot of this... It's different. It's a very different game to the first hacker that saw you moving about on underground monorails, meeting people, weird, weird sort of silhouette spies in various places around the world and asking them if they knew stuff and trying to piece together this. uh, To be fair, I can't really remember what the plot of that was, but this is essentially that's what you were doing. In this one, the hacker two, which is called the Doomsday Papers, 
Some secret doomsday papers have been developed by the pesky Russians. Always the pesky Russians. And it's your job to guide some robots through the building that they are located in and steal them so that the good old US of A can counteract them and keep the balance of world power in their favour. That's the politics. That's the game. It is what it is. So this game begins slightly similar. It asks you for a log on, similar to the the first game. And then you have to go through a sequence where you have to identify parts of a video editing something system. Once you've identified all those and the buttons to control it, you're then presented with four screens and those buttons that you identified at the bottom. So you can view cameras throughout the building you can record them you can play them back you can see where one of your robots is that you have to try and guide through the building which is to find the documents you can hack into the com- to the cameras and play them back in a loop and i'm going to be honest here this confused the hell out of me <laughs> and and, and I, I don't know if this is any good or not because i i just mm. literally had no idea what the hell i was supposed to be doing sounds familiar. i went online i looked at the instructions but i was overwhelmed reading them by the initialisms and my brain just shut down i was like i can't take this in i don't know what's going on here there is probably a great game here and i don't no doubt that it's very clever and the guy who made this and made hacker is clearly a very competent programmer and game designer but it's too much for me it's i can't these this it, it just asks a bit too much of me at this point in time to sort of try and work my way into it and the weird thing is i remember playing hacker back then i have no memory of hacker 2 none no so same, this was a when I saw this in the list, I was like, oh, God, there was a Hacker 2, wasn't there? I completely forgot about this completely. And when I played it, I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe when I actually play it, I will actually remember. Some, but no, nothing came back to me about this. There was So I don't think I ever actually played this. So I had nothing to go on, nothing to draw from, apart from coming at this fresh now. And it, it's just it's just too much. I think if you probably got into this and you delved into its systems, because the, the effects are quite good. The use of the cameras and the flickery screens and trying to record them and everything about it is quite neat. And there's some special effects, but I, I just found it a little bit overwhelming, if I'm personally honest. And it, it simply wasn't wasn't for me. Did you get Did you get far into it? Did you get much from this? No, I I did enjoy the aesthetic and the idea of hacker, and that the fact that it was kind of it felt that like you were hacking into something, and it, I think it had a little bit more of an in. This felt totally like it was, you know, it was very difficult to get into. It overwhelmed yeah, yeah, me it with was. with acronyms and stuff and controls and the idea of controlling these security cameras and looking for stuff and knowing what I was clicking on and the V-log and this log and that log and do this and do that. There was so much to think about. And it was like that from immediately. It was like straight in, you're on. You're doing this stuff now. You've got to sort out the vertical hole on these TV cameras and look for the various things that are happening in these screens. There was 36, was it, screens that you could choose to look around? Yeah, yeah there was, it was a lot. There was loads of stuff to, to think about. And I felt, you know... Yes, I get the idea that I'm controlling some kind of robot and I'm got to in, I've got to infiltrate this sort of facility. Yes, I'm looking for some secret, you know, documents and and all the rest of it. It just it didn't feel like that to me. It felt like I was looking for stuff on security cameras and not really knowing what I was looking for, how I would deal with it, what I was supposed to do and where it would end up. So the game was wrapped in all of this, what sounded like an amazing plot, an amazing story, an amazing stuff to get into. What I was presented with was four screens that I could choose from between 36 without really knowing what I was meant to be doing with them, what I was meant to do if I saw anything in them, 
how it was really yeah. relating to anything I was controlling. Not that I felt like I had control of anything really, other than what screens I could look at. And I just got bored. I felt like it was just like a security camera simulator. I think it didn't, the story didn't grab me and bring me into its world. I was just presented with stuff and stuff to do and very sort of matter of fact, here's, here's the sort of security cameras. You know what to do with security cameras. Just look for stuff. And I needed more than that. It didn't bring me into the game enough. Hacker brought me into the game by sort of starting with starting with text and things appearing and dialogue and discussion and you know and I could get I could work my way into that. I don't know if perseverance might have helped with this. I was playing this for quite some time and I was just presented with the same thing for about an hour and it just kind of switched me off. I thought, you know, if I want to play a hacker game and get I never finished hacker, so I'd just go back to that and I don't think I'd bother with hacker too, because it didn't really feel like I was hacking anything. It felt like I was just tuning into video cameras. It, it could yeah, have, for all yeah, the difference yeah. it made, it could have been me watching the cameras while my teammates robbed a bank because it could have been a bank robbery simulator. And I was the guy that said, you know, the guards come in, press the red button. I didn't get any of that from this. It just, I, it felt like a game with that lots of stuff around it, but it just didn't present me with anything that really made me want to play it. So probably a great game, but it wasn't very satisfactory for me. And the graphics are quite nice as an aside, looks okay. But just, I kind of just, it just tuned me off. It switched me off. I just wasn't into it so i think you'd have to really like hacker to really like hacker 2 a lot i think i think you're right yeah there's i think you're the comment there there's there's no in there's no mm. th- th- there's no onboarding it's just here you go yeah and i think Cameras. trying to replicate trying to replicate what they did at the beginning of hacker uh you know identify the parts in this robot had a sort of point and then but then it was more of a you know moving around going to places talking yeah. to people there was a kind of a it felt like oh I, I recognize what i'm supposed to be doing here here it was like what the hell there's no there's no clues there's no help no it was too, it was too much for me I don't, I, over my head I'm, I'm no hacker that's for sure so yeah, I'm sure there is a good game here, maybe, but it's not for me. Not for us. It's not for no. Zap to the Past. No. No. Pro- probably um, better than the next one, maybe, though. Yes. Uh, maybe. I don't know. So, Hollywood or Bust? Yes. yes. Did we? Did we... Did we go to Hollywood or did we bust? Well, I didn't dig it, so I feel it was a big bust. In this game, you play a film star called Buster. I'm guessing that's named after Buster Keaton. Or it's that kind of era of Hollywood, so you know, uh, Pratt Falls You're called and Buster, antics. but you look like Harold Lloyd. Yeah, it's that same difference. It's the, that's that kind of era of Hollywood, so 1920s Hollywood, really. The idea of the game is that you wander around this film set looking for five Oscar statues, and when you get the five Oscar statues, you win the game. If you don't, and you encounter, you're attacked periodically by hordes of policemen, which is kind of mysterious, but I'm guessing it's Keystone Cops type idea. I think so, yeah. But you'd have to have a bit of knowledge. If you came to this without knowing anything about early Hollywood, I don't know that this would bear any relevance to anything you would understand. So, other than that, there's ghosts and other things in the levels which can... uh, obviously cause you to die if you do that you gotta start again because you shout the director of the film you're in shouts cut so there's an idea here of you being part of this film and in this film you can do stuff and but that idea doesn't work because it's not carried through the whole film if they'd have made it so that you were part you were trying to make a film and you had to record a certain number of scenes and do a certain number of stunts in order to make the film successful, that would have made more sense than just running around a collectathon on these various levels, being chased by policemen throwing pies at you, collecting Oscars that really didn't... So I think this started off as one game and ended as another. I found myself periodically thrown into this kind of almost a... It was a weird sort of run and gun, shoot the policeman with custard pies thing, where halfway through I, I just ended up being chased by... No, and there was a lot of sprites on the screen, so maybe technically that was quite a clever thing. I don't know. I just 
the game didn't make a lot of coherent sense. It was someone said, you know, let's, let's set a game in Hollywood and, and film old film sets. And that's kind of as far as that conversation ever went. So they just pulled out tropes of things that they thought might be something that would have been in that kind of thing. So, you know, Keystone Cops, custard pies and running around a lot. Well, it need a bit more than that to really entertain anybody with this. So you don't really get a lot from that. The music, I think, is a Rob Hubbard piece for this. Um, and I thought it was a bit jingly jangly and it, it, it harked of the kind of Rob Hubbard music I don't like. So, you know, the the we've, we've talked about a number of games that have this kind of jingly jangly sound. I don't like them, like, like them particularly. They're not terrible, but they're not what I like. And this game sort of felt like it never really went anywhere. It was just kind of weird. Graphics were okay. It's kind of sizable sprites that looked all right. It got very annoying very quickly. The sound was already loud as well so kind of in your face now which is odd because 1920s would have been silent movies so it would have been actually more realistic if they just made it completely silent or make the music sound more like the film music that came out around them where someone was playing that kind of ding 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 ding, ding I thought ding, that's no. what they were going for I well, thought that mu- that was the attempt yeah but they kind of it felt a bit more like the entertainer slash sort of you know yeah yeah that kind of stuff so in the end I was just kind of running around being chased by police officers throwing things at them a lot of sprites around rubber but not his greatest piece. I prefer it now is entering Rob Hubbard's kind of chunky sound era. So as we'll come to as we'll come to know when we get towards Delta, Sanction, Knucklebusters, and other games that start to have a bit more grunt and less kind of this twee twiddliness. Um, so and that's the Rob Hubbard I, I personally prefer as opposed to this stuff. I'm not saying it's terrible music. It kind of goes with it a bit, but it, you know, it's just a bit in your face. So, but it's about the best thing this game had going for it, I suppose, because I didn't enjoy anything else. What about you? No, I'm the same. I probably hated it more than you. That ghost did my head in. Yeah, because you just kill you. Once you die, you die, right? One hit dead. Yeah, the, the one the one hit ghost kill is like pointless. I tell you what, I'm not going to say too much about this because it's, it's rubbish. The visuals and the music are all right. They, th- they work thematically for what it's going for. The problem is, is obviously the one life incident. death. But do you know what the, um, when you go onto it and all those cops come on after the boring, boring intro, watching them all come onto the screen every time and you have to survive for a thousand frames. Do you know what game it reminded me of? It mm-hmm. reminded me of Jail Jailbreak. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Of a, an early version of Jailbreak, which I thought, oh God, I'm just going to be running along, just mowing down cops. Yes. Just custard pie in them. But, you know, that, that thing, because Jailbreak is you walk running along a road, isn't it? With loads of people running about and Yeah, yes, them. it is, yeah. So uh, it just reminded me of that. But once you go back to the the set, I don't know what it was called, really, the bit where you have to climb up the ladder. You can't get anywhere near the ladder because the ghost would appear and just kill you. And it was just, I don't get this game. I don't get what it was aiming for or going for or mm. trying to do. It's way too hard. It's punishing and it's no fun. And nope. it's, but rubbish and annoying is no way to go through life. Nope, and you're quite right. So that's what annoyed the hell out of me with this. So I, I didn't like it. I thought it was uh, even at one ninety nine bust. It's still I, I, yeah, bust, massive bust. You can't even you know even two quid. Fair enough, it's two quid. But if the game is unplayable, then it could be could be give it to me for free, and I'd still say it's unplayable, and I don't like yes. it. Yes, I quite so, agree. So you know, a game needs to work. And yes, this didn't. No, and I, like I said, there's a germ of an idea in there which never came off in the game at all. They just fell into berserk kind of territory, really, at one point, and I don't think they really knew what to do with it. No, exactly. So there you go. That's Hollywood or bust. That's our double H beginning for this uh, part. <laughs> Let's move along. Our next one is another cheapie. It's one ninety nine. This got eighty five percent, and I'm going to imagine you hated it. But this is collapse. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't like it. I don't know. Let's have, let's have a look. So, what is collapse? Collapse is a cheap and annoying puzzler that goes to put is that goes to great lengths to put you off playing it. But if you turn the sound off, which I highly recommend you do, 
I thought that this was an actual, once you've got your head around what it wanted you to do, it's actually a pretty good single screen puzzler. I quite like this. But whatever you do, for your sake of your own mental health, turn the sound off. Because the sound is horrendous. It's also horrendous. But let's put all this to one side and see what we have. So so the game, it, so what you have is the, the game presents you with a grid of dots, um, like a 10 by 10 grid or whatever it is. Some of these dots have links between them. Uh, so, and and, and that's what they have. So there are sort of, they, they're sort of joined. So the dots of some of them are joined. They can be horizontally or vertically joined. And you play a mole. None of this makes any sense, by the way. But you play a mole. And what you have to do is you have to walk over those links and turn them blue. Once they have been turned blue, you can rotate them by tapping on them. And they rotate. So you tap on them and they rotate 90 degrees from, a, from one of the points. Uh, where they where they join sort of thing so they from an, from an anchor point basically uh, and then it disappears so if at the end of that 90 degree rotation so if it goes flat to vertical at the end of that that twigs onto that touches another link that's on there that's one of the chains sort of thing then that link will then rotate and then it when that rotates to 90 degrees if that hits another link that will go another one so you can see this you what you've got to do is kind of make a chain of links that will rotate and hit the next one kind of like dominoes falling or anything where you do that sort of thing so that's the whole point of this and you've got to clear the screen of all these links you have a timer to counting down and you've got to you've got to move around and uh, do that the mole has two states uh, a yellow and a red state so in the yellow in the yellow state that is when you can turn the links to blue and you are susceptible to gravity so if you're up high in the grid and you walk off a platform one of the links you will fall down to the bottom or down to the next link if you press the fire button, you will become able to enter a red state in that red state. Oh, sorry. When you're yellow as well, you can jump up and down. So you can jump through the links and like a platformer and you can move up through the grid. When you turn into the red state, you can move horizontally and basically float. So gravity has no effect on you, but you can't affect any of the any of the links. What you can do, though, is you can create new link underneath you, left or right of you, which then turn yellow by pressing the fire button again or sorry moving up or down and you can then come back yellow and then start to move around the grid again so the whole point is to navigate and create links and create platforms for yourself to be able to get to some of the links where you can't get to because you've got to be yellow and and try and m get rid of all the links there are enemies moving about the grid if you hit them you lose a hundred seconds um, or 100 points off the countdown timer. There are also diamonds that appear periodically. If you collect them, you get the time back. It's frantic. You have to work fast to get through this. So you've got to, you know, what you're looking for is to create a chain reaction of links rotating to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And when you do that, when you actually make a full on, almost, you know, all the links go in one big go, it's really pretty satisfying. Now you can do them bit by bit, but obviously that doesn't, you know, you've, you, that doesn't work as well. The, the problem is, is just the way that this is presented. It's presented horribly. The graphics are rubbish. The sound is awful. But the central idea is actually quite decent. Now, if someone had to come in on this, who who could actually draw decent sprites, who had a bit of a decent visual flair, so if someone had to come in on this and given it to, you know, someone who could do decent sound, I think you'd have a really, really good game here that would have been quite well liked. I think the problem is, is that presentationally it's quite bad and it's too abrasive that sound on to keep playing for long for me this fell in the same ballpark as games like hercules and big mac the mad maintenance man and that they don't look that great but there's a central core mechanic that's actually quite good but presentationally they lack it's tricky it's hard it's fast it's frantic and if you can get past the way it looks i think you could you could get a lot from this if you like single screen puzzle games if you don't you probably hate it which is fair enough because there's a lot to hate about this but it's a strange game because in the, at the core there's a decent puzzle idea here which I quite liked.
And for two quid, I think, you know, it was okay. 85%, I think the, the visuals, the aesthetics don't are not worth that high, even if you want to give it that much. I don't know. That would be my, my take on it. What was your take anyway? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say. It was... Uh, oh, I thought I didn't, I didn't think you'd like it. I yeah, think, it's, but... well, I, it's quite an interesting puzzler. For one ninety nine. it was a different take on a kind of puzzle game. I quite like the idea of having to turn the sticks blue. You unleash your Rotox, which then rotates around and gets rid of the sticks and does all of that. It was a nice idea to that. Like you say, it's let down by its graphics, which weren't great, but it had that kind of addictive gameplay. So it was a game that would initially kind of put you off, but you'd go back to it and you'd sort of figure things out and you'd start to get better at it and you'd start to do it. And it's a good little puzzle game. I thought it was presented quite nicely. It was just as a concept of a game and the gameplay itself and the logic of the game kind of worked maybe a tad over complex for what it was but it worked all the same so i i did enjoy it and i think you know for people that enjoy these kind of puzzle games like this it's you know it's manna from heaven they're all going to be getting properly giddy and having to change their underpants every couple of hours i think <laughs> yes because there's 99 levels isn't there? yeah yeah there's a lot to go at for 199 this is genuinely a bargain because there's a lot worse yeah. games we've seen for 199 that are you know there's games that are worse for full price so this is good. It's it's like you say, it's let down perhaps by its graphics, but if you get past that and it doesn't take much to get past it. Once you start hopping up and down and figure out the difference between Zen when he's red and when he's yellow and how you build the bridges and what that means and how you do that, there's actually quite a little nice little strategy puzzle game in there. It's hard. It's a difficult game. I think you need to get into it. And I think that's probably where it puts people off as think if you don't get past and get into the get into it within the first sort of 10 minutes and just figure the stuff out, it might be something that you never get you never play any further because you think, oh, I've had enough of this. I gave it a bit of legs because I wanted to sort of see where it was going to go with its premise and see if it just cocked it up royally or whether it was actually something worth giving some time to. And I'm pleased to say that it made up for its lack of budget um, with some really quality gameplay. So I enjoyed playing it and I would recommend to give it a go. You don't get a lot of puzzles that are this good at this price around this time. No, you, know, you could no, have you been don't. sat crying yourself to sleep over the fact you'd built Knight Rider. So go <laughs> and take that back and say, it, it it did ready run ready make sure you run a magnet over it before you do that and then uh, trade it in for this because i don't think you'll go far wrong i, I liked collapse i thought it was it was a very good little game uh, another right. 199 little bargain really you know what's not to like about that yeah yeah way better than uh night rider and miami vice yes. and hot wheels and significantly and better than the next stuff. game yeah yeah it is so collapse collapse is a good little fun game but like i said just turn the damn sound off yeah the sound, sound, is, abra- that sound is abrasive isn't it yeah it's just stupid just, i just turned it off i just turned it off yeah indeed i just turned the next game off yeah i wish i had <laughs> all of it So um, our next game is Arcana. We looked at the crap the other week. We did. So, Graham, what's our Arcana? Let me tell you, right? This is, if I just describe the the idea of what you're meant to do. So, because this is the one we laughed about with the stupid name. So it's got Valeraquil in it. You remember that we said it was like a headache tablet or a... I or do, a, I do a, remember that. Or something like that. So you've got the evil king Valeraquil. You've got a certain amount of time before the change of the autumn equinox doesn't matter you've got the certain amount of time and you remember you had to get the dark clavicle which was held in in <laughs> valeriquil's castle and <laughs> now, blah, I, now blah, i remember arcanius and you know so so you've got to go and do stuff and sort out you know it doesn't matter really because you're never going to get much further than that it's an arcade game arcade adventure viewed from a side elevated angle side scrolling you play baluda oh, god's sake 
sent to complete this mission over four levels. Look, let's just cut to the chase, right? This is a game made by Jeff Summer. Jeff Summer's previous game, but game that we will remember mainly for is Amazon Warrior. So let's just take it in the back of your mind. Think, has this guy got a history of unoriginal product? Yes, because this is basically Staff of Karnath slash Entombed slash Ultimate C64 games of that type. It is a uh-huh. blatant, blatant, blatant ripoff of those games. So blatant, I'm surprised he got away with it. Colour scheme, the graphics, the way it looks, the kind of quasi-3D, the blocky style, the ear-bleeding effects, sound effects, the title screen, simplicity. The whole thing is a rip-off. Like Amazon Warrior was a rip-off of another game. And it has annoyed me because this is a... There's no reason why you should be doing this. If you can't make original games, Jeff, then just quit. Don't waste people's money and time with this crap. Because and the, prob- the problem is, if you'd have fixed the problems, Jeff of those games that you've ripped off blatantly, then I might be more forgiving, but you haven't. You've just inherited the problems of those games. Crazy respawning enemies that attack you at every every opportunity. Inability to really defend yourself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. If you are going to reproduce something that's crap, don't just make it more crap, all right? And that's what happens here. So I played this, felt uh, I could immediately looked was looking at a game that had been blatantly copied from somebody else, which is exactly how I felt when we looked at Amazon Warrior. This is just a ripoff. It's just a blatant copyright infringed ripoff that's clearly, I think, I think if you looked at the code side by side, I think you'd have had trouble identifying whose was what code. I'm surprised he got away with it with Amazon Warrior and the way he ripped off Forbidden Forest. Forbidden Forest. So yeah. this is another version, and apparently there's a bit of a history of it with this particular person. He's known for it. If you look at a bit of history of the games that he's created, they're all rip-off of the games. So he's just carbon copying, cut and pasting somebody else's game idea, game code, and everything else. Well, you made a mistake here, Jeff, because one, this is a shit game that you've made because it was a shit game before. So, you know, you've just photocopied a shit. <laughs> and, and if you take a shit and a photocopy and photocopy it, it's a picture of a shit. It's no different. It's just a shit. So you've just made a shit. And uh, I hated this game. <laughs> I don't think, I, if I would have been Zap, and they should have had the courage of their conviction, this clown shoe should have been called out for the crap he was creating. Because this is ripping off other people's code. And it's wrong. It's wrong now. If I went out and made and ripped off a game that somebody else had made and just pushed it out on my own, it would have been a, a, a cease and desist before I could even blink. This should not be allowed to happen. And it certainly shouldn't have been produced, published by by this company and put out there. I think it's a travesty that the fact that it's so blatant is what is unbelievable. And it's just, it annoyed me because like, remember when we talked about Amazon Warrior, you were annoyed, you know, shakingly angry about how crap Amazon Warrior was because it was ripping off another game and doing everything wrong in the process. Well, this is exactly the same deal. Same guy, same deal, crap. As soon as I got three minutes into the game, I was like, I'm not giving you my time because this is just, this is wrong what you've done. This is wrong, wrong, wrong. Get lost, Arcana. What about you? Yeah, no, I'm exactly 100% the same. I put, uh, is this an ultimate game? No, it's our old pal Jeff Sumner. Mr. I Can Do Forbidden Forest Aztec Warrior. Yep. It says, I put, I don't like the ultimate games. I don't like this knockoff version. It's not like he's, and I even noted like you did sort of thing. It's not like he's even looked at what worked and what didn't work about them. This is terrible for all the things we said about, yep. like for all the things we said about Amazon Warriors. Shameless. It's shameless to how much of shocking. a rip-off this it's is. It's shocking. Because when, when, when it started, when I first was put, put looking through the games and starting, I was like, hang on, is this an ultimate game? Is this mm. what, uh, is this by the people who did the ultimate? Then I looked who it was by, and I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it's, it, the, the look, the visuals, the style of the sprites, and as you said, the it, we said at the time, if, I, if you were going to look at the ultimate games, 
there are things you'd look at them and go, you know what, that's just annoying. We could take that out and this could actually be quite interesting and quite good if we did something else with it. But they've just gone, no, 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 we've got to keep that in. So there's just no thought about this. It's it's rubbish. I mean, the graphics, are they look okay because they look like Ultimate Games but because they were always okay. But it just looks like them and it's just a shameless ripoff and it's a terrible, terrible thing. Pfft, I don't know, 45%, yeah, is generous because... I think that it's not his you've got game. To, you, no, you've got to say what it is, and you've got you should you should have said that this is you know an utter. I mean, they mentioned him in some you know some of the comments, but yeah, a bad a bad thing and um, stupid as well. Stupid game. I played it to a point. I kept going into just dead ends and couldn't get anywhere anyway. So it wasn't even, didn't even feel particularly well designed. No. I mean, why have a you know I couldn't find anything. I, I got to a room where there was just like two ghosts that just kept killing me, and it was just rubbish. I just hated it. Yeah, published by Virgin Games. This. I know it was, yeah. We looked, yeah, Virgin. But we Shocking. looked at, you know, like I said, we uh, the the, ad, the crap vote was bad. We didn't, I, I didn't, because I'd never heard of it. I wasn't aware of it, so it came as a bit of a shock. But and it gave me more of a shock that he was like, "Oh, this is my next knockoff." So uh, a bad thing. We don't like Arcana. We don't like the. No. We don't like the thought thinking behind no. it. No. No. I've had, and just as you know, as you have. We've taught video games. You still teach video game design. We teach these things. And if a student had submitted that, I would have been calling them out for plagiarism. Yeah, absolutely. If a student yeah. submitted that, I'd say, excuse me, but this isn't your work. This isn't no. your work. This is the you know, this is the equivalent of somebody writing an essay and then just copying someone else's essay the next year and going, here's my essay. It's not your work. You didn't do this. You didn't invent that format. You didn't invent the gameplay. You did nothing but rip off someone else and make a bad version of it. Shame on you. Shame on you for doing that. It's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. It should be erased from time and space in fact i'm erasing it right now using my powerful time erasure system oh no another one i've erased the word <laughs> arcade uh <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay uh, things are going to be a bit different when we talk about um, the old deck uh, i don't know what you call them now we need to insert a new word for them uh, <laughs> what have you done but digibox games there we go there we go <laughs> the timeline is saved <laughs> Thank <laughs> the god future for that. is taking root in the present <laughs> <laughs> it is done thank god for that so uh, and nobody yeah. will be nobody will be missing anything to do with those Digibox games that are all in the Cleethorpes. So ah, oh, I love Digibox games. Yeah, good old Dragon's Day was one of the great Absolutely. Digibox games. Anyway, I used to spend so much time down the Digibox. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, playing playing <laughs> down, the, down the Digibox game place. The shopping Digibox. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I, I do like a good Digibox game adventure. Oh, it's, it's too many words. <laughs> Going back in time and changing now. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> For this small boy. Mm, actually, no I could put any word I want in there. Crab. <laughs> oh, he spent so much so much time down at the crab. Yeah, nip down clean thoughts, play a few crabs. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, right. Our last game. Actually, ironically, sort of sideways tangentially maybe linked to our last yes, game. Yes, there is a bit of that in there. Because it's the cover game. We've left it to last. It is Beyond the Forbidden Forest. Okay, so this is the sequel to, I think it was pretty much our game of episode zero, wasn't it? We agreed yeah, on yeah, that. we or liked one, it. Or one of them, or in that first part one or whatever, when we yeah, looked at it. Yeah, we liked the thematics, um, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I've always been a big fan of Forbidden Forest. And Mr. Norman, Mr. Paul Norman, has uh, come along and done a sequel, finally, after two or three years. He's done other games in between, like Monster Trivia, 
and Caverns of Carnath and what was that other thing? He did some other stuff as well. Oh, but he's done Super Huey. Yeah. And, and crazy stuff. But now he's gone back to his Forbidden Forest and he's gone beyond. So now we are beyond the Forbidden Forest. And he's, you know, obviously learnt a few technical technical skills between that time and now. He's up the technical ante. It, it still looks and plays like Forbidden Forest. The, the sprite's a bit... It's still chunky, but it looks a bit more human-like. And you've now got the ability to move in and out of the screen, kind of like a improper 3D. So you can run into the depths of the forest and back out. The enemies that beset you exist on those planes as well, so you need to do that. You can fire arrows in full 3D, sort of in out of the screen, in sort of eight directions. But, you know, it still looks like Forbidden Forest. It's just a little bit cleaner and a little bit more... It's a little bit more well-designed in, in graphical sense. So, so, but if you know what Forbidden Forest looks like, you'll probably know what to expect here. It's a side... So what this is, is it's side-scrolling, parallax, quite a deep parallax layers. There's quite a lot going on. Yeah. Parallax layers of forest, which you can run in and out of, and you scroll left and right. Um, and you play an archer... Um, and all you have is your bow and arrow, and so you have to take down... Essentially, you've got to take down a single enemy at a time and progress through the forest to kill the Demogorgon, who lives in a big cave. So the enemies you have to take down, you've got a giant scorpion, a giant worm, a giant dragonfly, and then a giant lizard. And you take them out in the forest. So this is the forest bit, okay? So this is in the Forbidden Forest. Killing each one of these rewards you with a golden arrow. And this is bestowed upon you in a mystical sort of ceremony after killing each enemy. A, a sort of glowing light appears and you get this arrow. And did you notice, by the way, that the end part of the tune when you get an arrow is very, very reminiscent of Duran Duran's Wild Boy. Yes, I thought down. that, yeah. Um, good, it wasn't just me then. So you're killing them and you get a personal invite to the caves where the Demogorgon lives. So it's time to take out the bats in the caves. Then you have to kill the four-headed Hydra. And then you're on to the Demogorgon itself. You kill the Demogorgon and it's praise the sun. Well done. You've completed <laughs> this. So this doesn't deviate too much because Forbidden Forest was the same. Seven monsters. The only reason is this is beyond the Forbidden Forest because you go into a cave. Yeah. Um, so really you're going beyond it, I guess. It doesn't deviate too much from Forbidden Forest. And I mean, essentially, these two games are just a boss rush um, mm. of a game wrapped up in a in, in an atmosphere of you've got really good music. It's quite unusual and quite unlike a lot of other stuff, like of an atmosphere of like sort of horror and doom and, and sort of gore. unusual uh, and gore. Yeah, there's lots of gore. Um, and there's like some unusual sort of feeling that you don't really get with these 8-bit games. Further down the line, something like Shadow of the Colossus will do similar things to this. Because that's essentially a boss rush game where you go around this big environment and kill 16 creatures, same sort of thing. Obviously, that was has much fancier pants. and But but this really, you know, this Forbidden Forest and Beyond Forbidden Forest, I think I'm going to put Amazon Warrior to one side because we don't mention that in nah, the same breath rubbish. as these. These are relatively unique pair of games. There's not much else like these in tone, in the way they play, in the visual styling, in anything about that. They're very hard games and they're quite punishing and you will die a lot because the controls are a bit weird because the controls in this, you run left and right, up and down moves you in and out of the screen. Holding down the fire button moves raster bars um, on the left and right of the screen and this is the height at which your arrow will fire. You then move, once you have this height at the right thing, so they move up and down, holding down the fire button, you move a joystick to fire in one of the eight directions, the rest of our stop, and then you let go of the fire button, and that's the direction your arrow goes in to try and shoot stuff. It's quite hard and tricky to line up your shots to actually shoot anything. But if you can get around that, if you can get your hang of that, and if you, you dig weird boss rush horror games that are unlike anything else back in the 8-bit time, you probably dig this. Um, I really like these games. I think, though... 
Personally, I think I prefer the first one to this one. I did like this and I do like this and I get that it's bigger and better, but kind of what we said with some other games, it feels like, you know, evolution towards Forbidden Forest, you know, unusual, but nothing like it at the time. This is more Forbidden Forest with technical chops up to bit over the, th- over the two, three years in, in the meantime. And that's no bad thing. It's just a thing. It is what it is. So... I probably enjoyed my time more going back to Forbidden Forest than I did with this, but I still really enjoyed this, and I still think this is very good. It got 91%. I think that's bang on, but I don't know if this will be everyone's cup of tea because it is an unusual and unique game for the time, but it's certainly one that I get a lot from. What about you, Graham? Did you enjoy it? Yes and no. Uh, There was a kind of a a dual-edged sword for me. So these... Forbidden Forest games, are you either like them and you like the style of them and the Paul Norman style is very unique to Paul Norman, but you either like them or you don't. And I kind of sort of let Forbidden Forest kind of get away with it a bit. It's atmospheric and it's nice. So Beyond the Forbidden Forest features this kind of, obviously this what they class as four-dimensional gameplay, but you can just, you know, go further into the screen and, and not... And there's some nice ideas and there's, the graphics are quite nice and the way it scrolls and the way it controls is all kind of cool. And it's, it all feels a little bit underpolished for me. It's a bit, it's a little bit sort of pokey and a bit car booty and a bit, I don't know. There's just something about it that, that the other games have a bit more polish that I think I prefer. Just like the idea of when you, you hold your fire button down and your elevation bars just as just little raster bars going up the side of the, the border. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it works and it's functional. I just don't know if it kind of works for me. So one half of me thinks this is quite a unique style of gaming and it's very, very unique to Paul Norman and that's no bad thing because it's not bad. The other side of me thinks it feels a bit underfinished and a bit underpolished and a bit hokey, but it does have a good atmosphere and the sprites aren't overly bad. I think there's space for this game, without a doubt, in the sort of ecosphere of the Commodore 64 games and it's certainly finished and polished to a degree that many of the games we've played for this episode are not. So in that respect, at least it's a full, complete game that works start to finish it doesn't have all of the weird problems and issues of much more expensively licensed games that that should have known better so i think it what it does do is provide you with more forbidden forest hence the beyond part and i think it does it does exactly what it sets out to do and so you can play that and go through that and and that's quite an and quite a likable thing to have in the end of the series of games we've played that have have not fulfilled even the slightest part of the potential and certainly have ripped people off this game at least doesn't do those things it is what it is you can play it and go through it and it is quite funny when you die in the gory ways and stuff like that it's a humor to these games so it's yeah, an atmospheric yes, atmospheric nice graphics the scrolling is quite good they are kind of you just gotta you know you gotta go with it if you you either like paul norman star graphics or you don't if you do and you like the scrolling and you can get into it i think you'll find a lot of fun in here then um, if you don't like it well you just you know you're not going to necessarily get out of it but does that mean you should rush out and buy night rider or any of the other crappy games that we've looked at well no um this is one of the better and stronger games from this issue of zap by a long way uh, and that tells you something because it's not perfect but it's a lot better than unfinished in my book so i don't i have a fun relationship with the beyond the forbidden forest games they're not quite my cup of tea but i totally appreciate that they are other people's cup of tea and at least the guy makes a polished finished game when he sets out to do that which he has all the way through from forbidden forest and beyond so he does what he sets out to do many of these other rip-off merchants do not so hats off to uh, to our friend Mr. Norman there for doing a de- decent job on the game. Not my cup of tea, but I still think it's pretty cool on the left. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I completely understand all that. They, they are. Uh, I don't want to say I don't use the term Marmite games, but they're they're such an unusual thing that there's not much else like them. And I don't think, and I think 
that's yeah you know, they're unique. To, to, yeah, that, that's to their their credit and also to the also to their detriment. You know, yeah, uh, yeah I agree. It's, it's not like it's not like oh, I quite like arcade adventures, so Equinox is okay, and uh, you know, Nosy Essence is okay because they're in my ballpark. These are like, well, what are they like? I'm like, they're not like anything. No, they're not really much like anything. They are single enemy takedown things where you get killed. So yeah, they're, they're a unique experience. And uh, but like I said, I think in my heart of hearts, I think I'm fairly original. But I still really like this one. It's a yeah. cl- very very close second. There we go. That's uh, Beyond Forbidden Forest, and that's all our games for this week. Wow, so we did a lot of games again. We did so many games, big, big so so many chunk. games at the moment. So let's move on because we've still got more crap verts. There was a plethora. No, there uh, is this month. So if you care to scroll your screen down to Beyond yes, the Headbone, I've seen it. To our first one, <laughs> which <laughs> is uh, <laughs> which is Mumbles Super Spy. Oh, dear, just why? Don't know. It's Databyte. Databyte obviously had a lot of games coming out, so it's got our Databyte logo, which we like, but the rest of it is just a, oh, a shambolic God. awfulness. Yeah, I mean, is he a midget, James Bond? I don't is know. Because he is <laughs> in, that, in that drawing, he's a midget. Because look at the size of the gun compared to him. I, I mean, know. That, that actually, if you scaled that according to his actual size and that gun, either the gun is massive or he is about four, four inches high. It's as long as his arm. He's like Weng Weng. He is. He's proper Weng Weng. And he's got, no, looking at that, he's got no Weng Weng either. <laughs> he must get them suits made specially. That's what I'm thinking. Because you, you know, that is a kid's suit at best. So this is uh, Mumbles Super Spy. So what we've got here is the word Mumbles across the top in some big, right, you know, big yeah, red letters. And that's actually, that font is very borrowed from the Untouchables. Yes, very much so, yeah. Then underneath it is Super Spy in script. Um, yeah. And then... Around the edges is some in, inexplicable... <laughs> geometric. Like, geometric building pattern. Is it meant to be city? Pattern? Is it meant to be a cityscape or something? Because in the screen grab, there's a city in the background. I think it's meant to be the top yeah, of the city. Yeah, I think it's it? meant to be the city. But it's so not. So then in the centre is a blue uh, box, box uh, with super, where the super spy is. And then there's this Mumbles... I think it's supposed to be a doorway or something, but then there's this Mumbles character and behind him a, a damsel femme fatale che- a, che- yeah. a, a, femme, a chesty femme fatale shall we yes. say and then we have this write-up which says your mission is to find beldar is that beldar, the mad yeah. scientist and destroy his laboratory before he destroys the world the only clue you have is that beldar was last seen entering the sewer system of the city but be careful he has an army of gangsters and has wired the underground with control panels sliding doors laser rockets bombs and many other hazards good luck mm. on what could be your most dangerous mission yet so what does this have to do with mumbles yeah true and more importantly well not more importantly as importantly um just want to say that control panels and sliding doors aren't hazards they're just entryways and ways of controlling entry <laughs> laser <laughs> rockets true. bombs and things are actual hazards if that's the intention but you know a sliding door is yeah. no more a hazard than an ordinary door unless you throw it at somebody i suppose but yeah you're right what's mumbles got who is he is that mumbles the guy is he, is he mumbles the spy why is he mumbles is he why does he mumble? i don't know no, maybe he's... honestly, it's like it's that thing you were saying. It's like up above. What's his face? P- Panama Joe from yeah. last week. It's like we're supposed to have some uh, affinity with mumbles. Yes. Yeah, but we don't. It looks like uh, if if he was going to be in a film, he'd be played by Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> He would, yeah. And the and the expressions on their faces are stupid. So he's got kind of a, I've just stood on an egg <laughs> kind of face. And she's got kind of, a, she's nonplus about anything. She's like, eh, I'm What bothered. am I doing here? Yeah, what am I, why, why am I here? Why have I been yeah. drawn here? 
should they have used a blue background when she's in a blue dress? I don't probably think they no, should have. The, but... the screenshots are so tiny. Why should he got uh, one leg? I don't know. One, she's actually got one leg and one arm, and she's got weird sort of claw hands. So I don't know. She's clearly going to stab him with her claw fingers. It's weird. Yeah, and he's only got three fingers. Yes, he has, and he's got little tiny, tiny thumbs. So so tiny. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, but data bike continue oh, Lord. to give us some <laughs> to give oh, us some quality crap birds with the next couple. Uh because on, on one page we have Adam Caveman oh, and Polar Pierre. Oh, now I can Lord. only presume that they've gone through this thing about we just want games that are based around a person. Yes. Whether it's whether it's um what's his name? Panama Joe, Mumbles the Super Spy, Adam the Caveman or Polar Pierre. They're not yeah. even bothered to like call him Colin Caveman or Clive Caveman and alliterate <laughs> it. So terrible. They're really bad, aren't they? Yes. I mean, they've gone for that kind of quirky, cartoony look. But there's just stuff that doesn't work. You know, you can't give them cute, cartoony eyes and then give them the shoulders and arms of a roided-up bodybuilder, <laughs> let alone the three-toed foot of a of a hobbit with no knees. It's all kinds of wrong. So you might be cute in face, but you've got a body dysmorphia going on that's horrific and needs hospital treatment. And then the text to the left of that is, you know, the mountains are waiting to claim you. It sounds dark and bleak. And Well, you've got to go rescue his wife from the clutches of the hostile mountain <laughs> the, men. That made me laugh. The hostile mountain men. Those bloody mountain men. Why are they always hostile? Just be nice. Well, the thing is, the <laughs> the clutches of the hostile mountain men, but she is well guarded and the desert is crawling with mighty beasts. I thought she was in the mountain. Well, I was expecting a list there as well. Crawling with mighty beasts, prehistoric birds roam amongst the like oh so it's just mighty beasts we just that's what we're calling them yeah. all rugged savage mountain men will try to kill you as you enter the deadlands there's oh, no dear. turning back from this nightmare journey see all this is quite bleak yep. and that looks cartoony yeah exactly that's what i mean so big happy smiley face but angry eyes on that pterodactyl thing that uh pterosaur whatever that is dragon because yeah. it's essentially a dragon isn't it that um, yeah. And why are its eyes there like that? Why does it have eyebrows? Why do that? If you're going to don't put eyebrows on, on things, you don't, it doesn't need them. It's, you don't need that. Anyway, why am I even debating the stupidity of that? Who knows? And then um, Polar Pierre. It describes it as an arcade strategy spectacular. I don't think it is, but you know, we'll probably end up playing it at some point. Polar Pierre, on the other hand, goodness me. Just, oh God. No. No, no. I'm, I'm guessing that these artists and people that have... Is Ron Rosen famous? Is Art Huff famous at graphics? I have no um, idea. Maybe. So, um, again, these are games I've never come across in all of my time on the Commodore 64 ever. No, um, never And I am them. guessing that they look to me like crappy variants of the same platform logic. So different graphics, different same engine kind of thing. Yeah, um, probably. And Polar Pierre, guess what? It's a skiing game, but it doesn't look... He's got skis on and he's at a ski resort, but the screen up doesn't look like there's a lot of skiing going on. So I don't know. I don't know. You've got... But it's no. the same logic exactly, look. Guide Pierre or his cousin Jacques through an icy, icy obstacle course, racing through ski jumps, mystery chalets, lifts, electro generators, shooting snowballs, springboards, stompers and thunder and lightning he could just substitute the, that text and put it into the uh adam caveman you know yep. climb the levels avoiding the insert things that sound kind of that the them that thematic just crap crappy crap 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 yeah data bite providing some good crap this is like the revenge last... of data bite isn't it it's bloody hell <laughs> it is but our last one's from beyond oh goodness me no <laughs> <laughs> so this is for our last one is the advert for dante's inferno oh. <laughs> and what's going on with that devil's mouth? Yeah, I think they've tried to go for kind of creepy, spooky, just by the way, that that isn't how the devil is portrayed in Dante's Inferno at all. 
So, you know, so if this game is based on Dante Aguilera's novel, uh, you know, famous Divine Comedy. Which it is, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. And this is the one with Fred Gray's great music. And, and we'll end up playing this. And it's actually quite a strange game. But it will. Yeah. I think when we play it, I'm just going to save it when we play it, but it will look exactly like a game, another game that you'll see. But like, oh, it's that one. It's just basically the same thing. But this advert's stupid, isn't it? So why is he stuck? His, is it a pinky sticking out that devil? Or is it just the way they've drawn it? Because it looks like he's got a little finger sticking out um, on his on the hand where he's grabbed the person, which I'm oh, guessing is... <laughs> I think it looks like it. But I think it's just his neck wing. It's his neck wing because his horns, his head is really weirdly shaped. He's like, he's got, I don't know, what is that? It's like side. What is that? What is his head? He's got, they're not ears, are they? What is it? It's just. I don't know. The side bulb. If you, somebody said to you, draw me the devil, why would you make it so his head looked like a giant fruit? It just, you just put horns on a person and say, there you go, a horny person, no horns, devil, there you go. And he's got yeah. the wing, the wings look, no, the, the thematic, the wings look good, the shading's there, the structure is kind of there. I don't know why there's snow on the ground, I don't get that at all, but it doesn't why matter. Does these, why does these heads poking through the ground? Yeah, well, that, that part I kind of get because of the whole Dante's Inferno thing, that does sort of tie into it, but without going into the complexity of Dante's Inferno and stuff like that, it depends which level of hell he's on and what he's talking about. But more importantly, this game doesn't really sell it any of that and there's such easy imagery to choose from for a game called Dante's Inferno that you wouldn't even need to have the devil in it really if you're going to have the words Dante's Inferno on it you don't need that you could have alluded to that and a subtle approach to this would have been better than just having a giant two-horned fruit stuck in the middle of the screen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> grabbing a person because you've no idea whether that's Dante or whether that's uh, Virgil or anybody else that's in that uh, really really cool but I love Dante's Inferno as a, as, a, as a book so for me it's just they clearly had an idea and somebody was like it's Dante's Inferno it's all devil and that isn't it so uh, so that's why you get fire devil no so it's Dante's in hell or so it's hell oh that's fire devil but it doesn't explain whether they've made him look like a vampiric orange um <laughs> So, but you know, that's my, I just don't get it. I don't get why you would do that, but it's a beyond game, isn't it? Denton designs and everything. So yeah, it's, I don't, I remember it not being that particularly great. I don't like the mix of fonts as well for Dante's Inferno. The music's great for Dante's Inferno. And that's the one thing I'm looking forward to because it's got such a good vibe and soundtrack for the game, which we'll discuss when we play the game. That advert is, it's another one I'm going to redo. I'll redo okay. that. I'll redo the crap for, for that because that's such a travesty. You don't need to do any of that. You could just have the words Dante's Inferno in the right font, not that kind of, because that's the Towering Inferno writing, the Dante, take that off of Towering. Yeah. That's, that's Towering yeah. Inferno they've done there. Very different yeah. idea. So that's, what I was, that's what I was reminded of, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, it's but Towering yeah, Inferno. Yeah, right. It's not Dante's Inferno. The Dante's font, the Dante bit is nice. The Inferno part's from another thing, but there you go. All right, there we go. That's our crap words. Let's round up. We got our chart. So uh, this is from Commodore User. So in at number 10, uh, in at number 10, new is Mission Elevator, which was okay. Mm, yeah, we like up that. To number nine is, up to number nine is Green Beret. That's a good one. Down to number eight is Miami Vice. Get lost. Ugh. Up to number seven is Knight Rider. No, it's not. Oh, down to number six <laughs> is Parallax. Yeah. Uh, down to five is Leaderboard. Mm. One above it is Hole in One. <laughs> Crazy. Down to number four. Up to number three is Speed King. Oh, it's the Why? Mastertronic re-release. It's oh, the Mastertronic right. yeah. re-release. Cheap budget one. Down to number two is Ghosts and Goblins. Makes and sense. up to number one is Dragon's Lair. Yeah, just proving, if anything needs to be proved, that the logic of people buying coin-up conversions still exists with that one-two there. So. Yeah. And and yeah, neither yeah. of those two being as complete as the Green Beret, which is further down the list. But there you go. No, absolutely. No, yeah, there we go. So what have we got? Do you want to pick some games from issue 18? Yeah, I suppose we should, shouldn't we? I'm lost. Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. 
Go on then, what do you want to pick? What um, do you want to put in? Well, this isn't what you call a classic selection, is it? So I think I'd have to put Parallax in, of course. I think, yes, Parallax would have to go in. Parallax, Druid and Supercycle for me, I think. Yes, I think those are the three I would go with as well. I think when all comes down to it. Yeah, and also Ren might be for Beyond the Forbidden Forest, but, you know, as a kind of added bonus one. But I'm not a big fan of that, but you might want to put that one in. But I think I, I think I probably enjoyed my time more with Supercycle, Druid and yeah. Parallax. Yeah, those three are a good tri- triangle. And if only we didn't have the liquors, then Iridis Alpha would be in there. Yes. But I can't get past them. So yes, I agree. I'm very, so- I'm very sorry. That's it. There we go. We've got our games for that. So what we got coming up next month, issue 19, features games like Alley Cat, Asterix okay. and the Magic Cauldron, Dan Dare, Deactivators, Fungus, It's Cleanup Time. Mm, that awful, doesn't sound good. Ugh, doesn't sound good at all. Jack the Nipper, mm. Jeep Command, mm. uh, Miami Dice, oh, uh, Mine, oh yeah, Mind Pursuit. <laughs> we've got Pursuit off because we've got Mind Pursuit and Trivial Pursuit. Oh no. Ninja. Oh, that's the Nomad. one. Mm. thought we'd reviewed Nomad. Re- no, oh, we no, haven't. No, Nomad we haven't. Oh, God, that's that crappy no, ocean no, robot thing. Yeah, like Equinox. Yeah. yeah. Room, room 10, Sanction, oh. Sinbad, Strike, Fo- Strike Force, Horrier. First big Thalamus game. Yeah, yeah, the first release, yeah. Velocipede 2 um, okay. and World Games. Whoa, okay. We're getting into heavy, heavy territory there because World, yeah, yeah. World Games is a really good game. It is. So some crackers there. Um, mm. That's to look forward to in the next couple of episodes. So yeah, loads to look forward to. So that's always good. Um, I think that's about us done for this one, isn't it? That's it. We have reached the end of the line. We have. So as always, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Ruddings. And we have been Zapped to the Past. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.